In today's episode of Backpacker Radio, presented by The Trek, we are joined by Emily Ford. Perhaps you've heard that name in the backpacking sphere of late, because Emily recently wrapped a thru-hike of Wisconsin's Ice Age Trail. Yes, in the dead of winter, becoming just the second person ever to do this, and the first woman. We do a deep dive on Emily's journey, including what gear she used, the weather conditions, spoiler alert, it was cold as hell, how she had to knock on strangers' doors to ask if she could sleep in their yard, and how she managed this trek along a husky that didn't belong to her. This is a very fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. We wrap the show with a preview of the Trek's brand new podcast, Walking Distance, a triple crown of odd firsts, another edition of Backpacking Advice of the Day, and some history of how North Carolina's tallest mountain played a role in the death of the person it's named after. But first... If you've listened to Backpacker Radio, you know that both Zach and I are big fans of Gossamer Gear manufacturers of lightweight backpacking gear and accessories. Their packs carry comfortably, their roomy shelters protect in harsh weather conditions, and their trekking poles are some of the lightest on the planet. Gossamer Gear is changing the perception of delicate, ultralight gear. Zach and I are both users of Gossamer Gear's packs and shelters. I used Gossamer Gear's The One Shelter on the AT and PCT, which is both spacious and light, weighing less than one and a half pounds. I've also used Gossamer Gear's The Two Shelter on the Colorado Trail, which has all the room for if you're hiking with a plus one. Zach has used the Gorilla, their 40-liter pack, for more than 3,000 miles of backpacking and is a big proponent of the Gossamer Gear Light Flex Hiking Umbrella, which he used on the PCT and Trans-Catalina Trail. Good news, listeners of Backpacker Radio can score an exclusive deal on Gossamer Gear products. Use discount code POOPSTORY for 15% off your cart at gossamergear.com. Again, that's POOPSTORY, all one word, at gossamergear.com. Don't sleep on this as the deal is only valid for a limited time. In case you're not already familiar, Greenbelly is the maker of one of the most complete nutrition bars on the market. Their meals contain 650 calories each, more than two and a half times the energy of a Cliff Bar. Think of them like cereal bars on steroids. Because Greenbelly meals are ready to eat, requiring no stove or cleanup, they make the perfect midday trail meal. Their meals are super light and made with wholesome ingredients with flavors like peanut apricot, dark chocolate banana, mango cashew coconut, cranberry almond, and their new flavor, spiced caramel apple, which is every bit as good as it sounds. They taste great and are handmade fresh every week. Chance and I both love the texture of these bars. They're dense, but still soft. They're also not too sweet, which is a nice change of pace in the world of sugary meal replacement bars. The bars are great for long distance treks as the founder, Christopher Cage, is himself a thru-hiker. You may recognize that name from his appearance on the Joe Rogan Experience. And good news for you, our wonderful Backpacker Radio listeners. You get an exclusive 10% discount site-wide at Greenbelly. Just use code TREK2021 at checkout at their website, greenbelly.co. Again, the code is TREK2021, you know, at the year, at greenbelly.co. Don't wait. This deal is only good for a limited time.
Welcome to Backpacker Radio presented by The Trek. I am your co-host, Zach Badger-Davis, and sitting to my one o'clock is... I am Juliana Chauncey, a.k.a. Chauncey. We're, we're doing it in person again, Chauncey. Yes, we are doing it in person. That's right. Okay. <laughs> not not a weird way to start the show whatsoever. Question of the day. Do you like backpacking in the winter or what's the worst part of backpacking in freezing temperatures? Um, no, I don't like backpacking in the winter. I do not like the winter in general. Um, it sounded like it was going to turn into a Dr. Seuss rhyme right there. I don't like hiking in winter at all. I don't, I like, don't like hiking in winter. Chance I'm I not am. tall. Yeah. I'm not tall. Come on, you got to throw that in there too. Well, it rhymed. What was I supposed to do? Um, no, I mean, it's cold. Uh, th- there are pros. I will say the one thing I like about hiking when it's very, very, very cold is that you don't stop because you mm. can't stop because you can't sit down and stop moving. It's yeah. too cold. So you make great miles. That's true. But you have to be in really good shape to make that happen. Cause like it just gets to a point where if your fitness is so bad, you have to stop and it just gets very uncomfortable. Yeah. I suppose that is a stipulation. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if we're going with an overall answer, no. Yeah, same <laughs> Uh I don't actually think I've done like a traditional winter. Like I've done a lot of winter hiking. I don't think I've ever done any winter backpacking. Um, in addition to not just loving the winter in general, for me, from a work standpoint, like that's when things are busiest. So I typically just treat the winter as my hibernation mode. I know you're kind of the same way. I'm an indoor cat in yeah. the winter. Yeah, and I just work my ass off to like – justify, you know, maybe slacking off a little bit in the summer and having some fun. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's actually funny how much it switches for me from being active and outside to just like, what are the outdoors? Because I mean, even with my Instagram, like you'll see like in the summer, it's like a post a day of just like outdoor stuff. And then in the winter, it's like seven backpacker radio episode announcements in a row because I haven't done anything else. And like the two outdoor posts are from the previous summer. (laughs) Yeah, like throwbacks to better times. (laughs) Better times when it was warmer. And hey, at least it's light out still. Maybe not right now. He says in a room in the windows. Yeah, I know. I'm just guessing. (laughs) It's actually not light out. So I made that up. But it's light out late is the moral of the story. So that's pretty cool. Yes, it has been getting lighter out later which I think I mentioned this on a previous episode. I always forget that's going to happen. Like I yeah. always think it's gone forever. Yeah, no, the daylight savings, whatever the version is when we spring forward, that's the good one. Let's just get rid of the jumping back, falling back. That shit sucks. Yes to that. And also I completely understand after this started, like this winter more than any other felt so much longer. Yeah. And I forgot so much more that it would end. I understand why people go to Florida for winters, like old people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm done with winter, but, you know, probably still a couple decades from actually being done with winter. I'm considering wintering in other places. Yeah. Good. In my mind. Not actually, but just in my mind, it seems nice. Mentally becoming a snowbird. Yeah, I'm mentally in a warmer place. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And with that, let's jump right into our interview with Emily Ford. Very excited to- so funny on here. it's so funny so on here it's like you can't leave the session once you start recording they're like you're here forever yo you're locked in this is a legally binding contract so that's awesome i'll let you start your own podcast (laughs) no that's good probably you know what let's just go with that let's just play into this this is a chat we don't have to have a formal fancy intro that is today's guest emily ford um We'll get into her hiking prowess here in a second. Uh, You're probably already familiar with it if you read the trek or are on the internet, but uh, very excited to talk all about hiking in Wisconsin in the winter today with Emily Ford. Thank you for joining us. Of course. 
So let's start off with a bit of your background. I want to learn um, where are you from originally and how and when did you get into backpacking? Yeah, oh, I'm from, um, born and raised in Minnesota my whole life. Um, I'm originally from a suburb of the Twin Cities. Then after college, I moved to Duluth on a whim with a roommate of mine from college. And uh, kind of just, that's it. <laughs> that's as far as we got. I have not left here. Neither of us have. We love Duluth. Um, and I didn't really start backpacking until I moved to Duluth either. My family, they were pretty outdoorsy um, growing up, but we were more like snow machines, ice fishing, four-wheeling, stuff like that. So um, human-powered things was not was not really a thing. So I feel, yeah. I feel like ice fishing is mandated by law in that part of the country. And let me say, I went to school in Wisconsin. So, uh, not only do I know Wisconsiners, but I feel like I know Minnesota. I, Minnesotans, I feel like are kind of the same breed as Wisconsin folk. Would you, Did agree? you just call them Wisconsiners? Wisconsin, Wisconsinites, Scannies. What, what, what's the correct? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Wisconsinite. Okay. I'm a little bit rusty here. I haven't lived in the Midwest for like 15 years, so I apologize. Okay. But uh, yeah, ice fishing. Everybody out there ice fishes. You get in the shanty, yes. you drink a couple Lots beers. Of people. Yeah. Did you did you hear the crazy Midwest hot tea recently while I was out, out on the trail? Did you hear what happened on Lake Superior? No. Yeah. Uh, some folks were tested the waters a little too much on Lake Superior and the ice broke away. And all of they had to get rescued by um, the Coast Guard. Huh. But they were like, oh, come get our stuff too. And they're like, we rescue humans, not stuff. And so all <laughs> their stuff, pretty much they waited for the ice to see if it was going to come back in. And it it didn't really. So a lot of their stuff is just at the bottom of Lake Superior now. Now, is this like a ice fishing setup that they lost? Or what are we talking about a here? A truck. <laughs> I'm picturing the people in Colorado that ice fish and they have those trucks out on the lakes. Uh-huh. Usually, I don't think they would allow someone to drive a truck that far I don't out think onto on Lake, the lake Superior. Though. Yeah. Um, probably like a snow machine or four wheeler or something like that. But they had to get out there somehow. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Damn, that's wild. Yikes. The other Midwest thing I want to bring up is I know lots of Minnesotans and I don't detect the accent whatsoever. Or maybe it'll show up a little bit later in the <laughs> interview. But uh, I like to hide my, I like to hide my accent. Okay. I've actually vehemently, uh, tried to pick up other accents to hide my Minnesotan accent. But yeah, I mean, we can totally go that route if you need. What's would, the best one you've got? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, our O's are really long. <laughs> you know, you, you say you know a lot. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I dated a girl from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and we were at the airport one time. And we had been dating for a long time, so I would heard her accent for a long time. But for some reason, this phrase just absolutely destroyed me. She goes, do we do we need tags for our bags? And like, I had to stop <laughs> in the middle of the airport so I could sit down and laugh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the O's and the A's, those are both, those are both pretty. It's so funny that people make fun of us because Minnesotans are like the number one sought out or like the Midwesterners are number one sought out folks for like live TV. Huh. I, I've presented that fact to, I believe it was Gary Sizer. And then he told me that apparently the Pennsylvania accent is the thing. Maybe I just think maybe every region has been brainwashed to believe that like their, their <laughs> accent is the one that's <laughs> okay. sought after, but uh, sure, okay. I'm on your team with that. I do think the Midwestern oh, accent. I could be wrong. <laughs> I no. probably heard that through like some bar trivia somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. 
Um, okay, so you have a background in the outdoors, but not so much. You said it was more machine-based outdoor stuff. Um, so when did the your intro into hiking and backpacking begin? My very first intro was when I was younger. I had a really good friend who lived in northern Minnesota. Um, and her family actually took me canoeing in the Boundary Waters for the, when I was, man, we we were maybe like 10 years old or something like, so that was my very first like taste of sleeping under the stars. It was super cool. Um, but backpacking like this, let's see, my dog is five years old. So I've been here for six years. So about like six, five and a half, six years ago is when I started up here. And it's really when I moved to Duluth. And the first time I went out looking back on it was miserable. I had like this three person, I was alone. I went solo on the spear hiking trail. Uh, my backpack probably weighed as much on that trip, which was a three day trip as it did on my winter hiking trip that I just finished. Um, like my kitchen setup was like a, like a pot, like a real pot with like real, like knife, fork, spoon, all metal. <laughs> I like put my oil in like glass jars. It's <laughs> like, I don't even know. My pack was, I just remember being exhausted. Um, so that being said, I mean, I do think anybody could go out and hike, but you just learn better practices over time. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. But so yeah. we talked about this a little bit before we hit the record button. But uh, Allison Kylie, did, I, I said it wrong the first time. Kylie, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, she gave me a little bit of intel that you guys were on the same rugby team. I'm actually curious how much that plays into your tenacity as a hiker, or do you just fall into both because you're so tenacious? Like, do you feel like rugby trained you for backpacking, especially like what you're describing, carrying, you know, actual silverware and oil and glass jars. Like, I feel like just having like a, like a bulletproof mentality is going to benefit you. And I feel like that's something that's going to be ironed out while playing rugby. Right. Well, after high school, my plan was to just go into the military and actually I wanted to go in my dream of dreams, I would have gone the Marines route. Mm. And I think I would have been a fantastic Marine. Um, cause that mentality and that just mindset is something I naturally lean towards anyway. Um, but yes, rugby was like, uh, very formative for my brain. Like my coach many times while I was backpacking, I could just hear my coach. We called him coach fitness. He was like this six foot, whatever dude built. I mean, this man like ran on just pure air. I don't know. He, he just had life flowing through every bulging vein on his body. Mm. And, uh, he would just scream at us. He'd be like, empty the tank, empty the tank. Like in the last end of the half. And he'd be like, this is it. You got to let it all out right now. He's like, you'll rest later. And like, on the trail, like on those really long days, I'd be like, all right, it's time to empty the tank. Like, huh. it's, you know, it's night outside, but I can sleep for a few hours and it'll be better by tomorrow. Like, just empty it. Like, here we go. So definitely formative. So, so was his mantra playing in your mind while you were hiking? It sounds like maybe it was. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so in my role playing rugby was, I was a forward. So I tackled, my job was to tackle the person who had the ball, no matter like how fast they were, no matter how big they were. And the thing about rugby versus like American football is like you tackle the person and then either you're fighting for the ball or you're getting just running around again and sprinting. There's like no time to lay down. If you lay down, they mostly you're injured. Right. So you're like tackling and then you're just up again, <laughs> like somehow running on adrenaline. So 
that mentality definitely kind of pushed, you know, doing kind of always does doing through hikes, I suppose. Did that influence you wanting to do a winter hike because it would be more challenging or there would be more difficulties in it? Or what made you want to do a winter hike? Right. Bizarre to me. right. I guess I don't like really seek to make my life more <laughs> difficult than it needs to be. I think that comes naturally. Uh, so I put myself in weird situations. Um, in my normal life, I'm a gardener. I work at a historic house museum in town here and uh, I just get the winters off. I get laid off for three months. And the rest of the season is so busy that I can't really take that much time off. So it's kind of, I guess I had a choice, but I just went with the easiest choice. You know, the one where I had three months off. Easiest. (laughs) Right. Well, I didn't have to use any of my like PTO or vacation time to, you know, take a two month hike. You know, it was awesome. I'm curious from like a sports fitness standpoint, because rugby is very like explosive, uh, with type one muscle fibers and backpacking is obviously much slower, like almost boring cardio. Was there an adjustment from like a collegiate level, high intensity athlete to something a lot slower? Did you notice that like, were you starting from scratch or were you, you were in such good shape that the adjustment was pretty seamless for you? Right. So on this trip, I did get a long muscle injury. My, my quad had been, had gotten so tight over the first week, just due to the way that I was walking. Um, and especially on those hard road walks, uh, that was pulling on my patellar tendon and it was making my kneecap get off track. And so my body had a bit of an adjustment to that, but, um, my body's very strong. Um, when the gyms were open 100%, like no masks. Um, I competitively power lifted for a couple of years when I moved up here. Hmm. Um, and, and I've been in, my sister and I both love to lift. Um, we love feeling strong and everything like that. So even though my body had to adjust to doing like slow, long distance, I feel like my muscles are strong enough that that transition wasn't as painful, I guess, as it could have been for someone doing like Couch to 1,000 miles, I guess, you know what I mean? But yeah. I knew that I knew that I was going to have to deal with some weird body stuff because I've never been um, a long-distance person, but I know that one of my strengths is just plodding along. I'm very good at just moving, even if it's really slowly. Um, so, yeah, a little, a little bit of both. Powerlifting background, that's interesting. I wonder if there's an advantage that, like, that must really build your – joints, tendons, ligaments, that sort of thing, which is crucial for backpacking. I think that's the thing that people don't really consider. Like they go out for runs and try to build up their cardio, but like the connective tissue is the thing that often fails for people. And I bet powerlifting is probably a great advantage for that. Yes, I would. So if anybody was trying to get better at literally any sport in their life, I cannot think of a sport that would not be benefited by powerlifting at Mm. all. How do you get into that? was like the weirdest cracky. I'm sorry, everyone who just listened to that. I'm really sorry. Um, how do you get into like powerlifting? Because Zach made me go to a CrossFit class one time. Right. And it like just going into a CrossFit class was the most intimidating thing in my life. But like, I can't yeah. imagine going to a gym and like approaching one of those bars and being like, I'm going to put some weights on you and lift you up and put you back down. Like that's just that's not what's going to happen Smoking when I go to the gym. Like a true gym rat. Yeah. Like that's, that's right. where do you even start? So, it is spoken like a true gym rat. That's how exactly how I approached it. But I'm like, 
I have to lift you up and put you back on there, don't I? <laughs> like deadlifting is just picking a bar up off the ground and then setting it down nicely. <laughs> gentle, gentle. Uh, yes. So the way, so I started lifting in high school, junior high. Wow. I started lifting in junior high. Um, I did not start to compete until I was in my twenties after college, but I've always loved lifting. The way I would say, if someone was like, I want to competitively do it, find a coach. And that's like, there happened to be a coach nearby to where I was. And he was buddies with a, um, a bodybuilding coach that a friend of mine used. Um, but if you don't know what you're doing at all in the gym and like those bars are really intimidating, um, secretly start at home with like a broomstick, like go on YouTube and like, look, look for videos and like, just start with a broomstick at home and like take videos or the biggest thing is taking videos of yourself like some people in the gym just take videos of themselves because they think they're really hot and whatever and they're like oh yeah look at me like for the gram you know it's my form but, yeah. <laughs> yeah right it, yes but actually like i genuinely just took videos to look at my form to make sure that my body was kind of in line and i wasn't gonna hurt myself because once you get to such heavy weight we've all seen those like videos on youtube of people dropping weight on themselves and you're just like i don't want that to be me yeah, <laughs> you know yeah uh pre-pandemic when i had a 24-hour uh, gym membership when i see people deadlift like oftentimes because there's not like people very rarely do personal training there you see the arched back and like people doing like a semi-squat stance when they're doing deadlifts like yeah you just see terrible terrible form and you know they're able to move the weight but i just i worry for people's lower backs yeah uh. oh yeah did absolutely that, did that help with when you were like carrying your stuff for the winter hike because that was one thing I noticed when I was looking at your pictures and like one thing that I always think besides all of the other factors would keep me from wanting to do a winter through hike is that <laughs> like your bag looks huge and like so heavy um right did that help carry the load because I, I can't imagine like moving several feet with something of that size right so yeah, disclaimer for anybody who sees the pictures of my pack on online. <laughs> um, it was like six. It was between sixty and sixty-five pounds, which is very heavy. Oh. It was just very bulky looking. Also, <laughs> the way I packed it was extremely bulky looking. That was my own fault. Um, but yes, my my legs. I have very big thighs. <laughs> That's just kind of the the name of the game in my life. Um, I never, I never wish to have a thigh gap cause I don't know where my, I don't know what would happen to my legs, I guess. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they're, they've always been very strong, um, and very powerful. And that's, I, the pack was very, felt heavy, but it never felt, uh, unmanageable. I guess. So we should set the full context here. Cause I feel like we've kind of eased into it, but for the people who might not be familiar with what you've just accomplished, can you give us the full spiel and a little bit more about what the ice age trail is? Yeah. So I, what are we at? Three weeks or something like that. Some, yeah, about three weeks ago, I finished the ice age trail in Wisconsin, um, which is a 1200 mile trail total. Um, for, but for a through hiker, you're not required to do all 1200 due to some weird trail things. Um, and I did about a little over 1100 miles, um, through a Midwest winter. I started on December 28th and finished on March 6th. Um, and I started on the Eastern end and hiked West. It goes, it, it's a weird route because it follows the last glaciation, uh, that, 
Wisconsin saw before it was called Wisconsin, I'm sure. Um, and so it takes this really weird route from Potawatomi State Park, and then it heads south for many, many, many miles. You're like 60 miles from Illinois, actually. Then you head north for many, many miles, and then you start heading west to St. Croix Falls. Um, so it's a, I call it, personally, I call it the longest way across Wisconsin possible. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it does make like a crazy is. horseshoe shape. Yeah. Um, yep. they, they really, they really drag out the mileage on that trail for sure. So, yeah. you know, let's also set the context a little bit more. I, if I'm not mistaken, you're the first woman to ever do a winter through hike of the, uh, ice age trail and just the second person ever period. Yeah. Yeah. Now, does that go to speak to how difficult the endeavor is or just how crazy you have to be to want to be outside in Wisconsin for that long in the winter. You know, I don't yeah. know. It's so because I so, so the way I heard about this trip was just through a friend. We were out playing bar league volleyball. Right. And I wanted to do a thousand mile hike in the Midwest. I love backpacking in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, mountains are fine too, but I really love the Midwest. Um, and she told me about the Ice Age Trail. And like at that moment, I was just like, sure, sweet, sounds great. And I didn't really think, I knew Mike had done it. Mike Summers had done it. And I was like, cool, it looks doable since some dude did it a couple winters ago. It never like crossed my mind to be like, oh, I'm the second person that's going to ever do this, you know. Um, Were there like, so the photos I was looking at, and it was just in a couple of articles where it was just like flat terrain, you know, through a nice forest. What's the mm-hmm. terrain like? Like, was there parts that were difficult? Were there parts that were um, dangerous? Or was it just, like, nice, flat going through? Because also, I saw that you did it in t- your 69 days, which, first off, nice. Um, but also, like, that's, <laughs> like, you're five. the first person to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm not, because easy, Leave easy bait. Leave it to But uh, that's, like, 500 miles a month, which seems, like, average for summer time, let alone winter time. Oh, we chugged along, man. We chugged along for sure. Um, right. Do not let those photos <laughs> look. <laughs> this is how I got in trouble because I so I pull, I was pulling a pulk for the first week. I was pulling a sled behind me because I oh. saw all those photos that looked flat. And I was like, totally, man. This is gonna be so easy. Put most of the weight in the sled, haul it on the snow, convert it to wheels on the roads. Awesome. Dude, it gets so hilly. Hmm. Like, it gets the way that the glacier sat on that land made these sections crazy hilly. I mean, just long, long hills. Were they like ridges that you'd have to like, you know, watch your footing on because of the snow? Um, or was it just like rolling hills that didn't really provide any like technical difficulty? No. The only spot where it's like a weird ridge is at Devil's Lake, probably, because um, it's there's a really, it's a drop off, it's a um, it's a bluff of some sort more so than anything. But what a lot of these are is are like eskers or moraines, so they're like these long. I don't have anything here to show you any geology, <laughs> but there's like these they're like these long. They can be really steep to get up to them, but then there's these long not ridges because they're kind of rounded or flat at the top. Um, and I'm sure because you're asking the person who hiked it in the winter, right? So <laughs> it's a little different because it is technical. Sometimes the snow would be up to my knees. So that's more of the technical thing. I didn't have snowshoes at that. I didn't take snowshoes after my first week. Um, mm-hmm. So that'd be more of the technical part for somebody who's hiking it 
in the summertime, your biggest ne- technical parts are going to be doing river crossings. Mm. There's several river crossings that you have to figure out how to get yourself through. Had, um, had you hiked much of the trail in summer? Did you scout it out at all? I flashed it and I wanted to flash it. I wanted to like, I barely looked at the train in the book. Um, I like scrolled through a few things like on the pages, but I knew that I didn't want to know anything about it hmm. and just kind of see it for itself. Kind of think that's the fun way to do it. That's what I did with the AT. Yeah, but you didn't hike it in the winter. No, of course not. It's like not nearly as impressive. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I like going in blind. Yeah, no, I would be, if I was doing something like this, I would be like a resort, a research whore. I would yeah. want to know everything. So I applaud, I applaud your, uh, your courage and just going into this blind. So you, you said that you only had snowshoes for the first week or you had sh- snowshoes after the first week. I, I only had snowshoes the first week and I didn't need snowshoes until getting closer to the, probably for the last couple hundred miles. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't much snow and excuse me, a lot of people kind of had gone out ahead of me and tramped down the trail with their snowshoes. Mm. Um, a lot of the trails are, are on the road or on snowmobile trails or on, um, ski trails, stuff like that. So a lot of it's on that as well. So there's a lot of post tolling. That's probably the toughest days ever. Cause you're going, I ended up going like a half mile an hour on those days that I was post tolling. Mm. And that was frustrating. Cause I could, I know that I can hike between two and a half and three miles an hour. And just, that was like draining. So what was this Wisconsin winter like? Um, because I already mentioned this. I went to school in Wisconsin. I think everyone knows this at this point, but uh, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show, but the day that I I graduated in December took me four and a half years. Uh, The day that I graduated, it was negative 40 degrees in Madison, Southern Wisconsin. So I imagine like up by uh, Superior Duluth, it was probably somewhere in the range of like negative four to 500 degrees. So, (laughs) (laughs) yes. yes. So yeah. What was the 2021, 2020, 2021 winter like for you? The beginning was actually pretty nice. If I recall hanging out around zero (laughs) in like single digit positives. Um, Then when I hit rush halt, it, it all flipped and became very, very cold. Um, I think before that, my coldest night was like probably negative 15, which was very manageable. But then that really cold snap came. And then all of a sudden it was like negative 30 at nighttime. And the windshield was like negative 40, whatever, blah, 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 50, blah, blah, blah. Um, And so on those nights, I definitely made sure to find a spot inside to stay. What we haven't mentioned yet also is I had a dog with me. Mm. And she's although she's an Alaskan Husky, I found it to be extremely unfair for me to be in this lovely fantastic uh you know sleeping bag and she was just in her fur you know so yeah so did she not sleep with you in the sleeping bag i, I know dogs are different like chance's yeah. dog she she uh, piles in with you right um well last summer she was still a puppy puppy so she was very small she fit very well this summer we're gonna be cuddling, yeah. but she she'll get she'll leave and she'll go sleep next to me in the middle of the night. Uh, yeah, mine refuses to sleep in my sleeping bag. And quite frankly, she's a seventy pound dog. I don't know the logistics might make that impossible. So yeah, let's talk about your dog. I want to talk about your dog very much uh, because the pictures she's adorable. Um, so how did you get the idea to hike with the dog? How did you come across this dog? Give us the full story. 
Yeah, well, I was, pl- we have a dog, my partner, we have Zulu, but he is a Catahoula mix. And so he is not made for winter um, at all. Uh, and a, a musher buddy of mine told me to post to a musher's page. What's a musher? Yeah. Uh, like a dog sled musher, the, oh. the human that is on the sled. Um, oh, All right. And <laughs> Iron Will. Yes, Iron Will. <laughs> I love that movie. Good, good job. Okay, you're the only. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I watch. So sorry. Side note for everybody. I watched Iron Will before I left. Talk about things that like push me through tough moments. I uh. thought about that movie, hurt near daily. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, you, you are Iron Will. You can do this. <laughs> I'm sure that I've seen the movie no fewer than 15 times. It was like one of my favorites when I was a kid, but it's got to have been at least 25 years, at least 25 years since I've seen it. So I like can only put very vague memories of it together. Yeah, it's fant- it's a it's a great old film. Yeah. That's it. Um so yes, yeah, so she she's technically a lead dog, so she'd be at the front of the pack. She's the one that listens very well. She knows her left and her right and her stops and her goes very well. She's very smart. Um, her name is Diggins, so purposely named after Jesse Diggins, our Minnesota skier, Olympic skier. Jesse Diggins is a monster. So is the dog Diggins, both monsters. Um, <laughs> in very similar ways, actually. It's pretty cool. And the, the farm or the kennel that Diggins came from uh, was the only one to respond to my post. So they just like let you borrow the dog for the yes. winter? <laughs> yes. Did you have to like provide references cool. and a bunch of stuff to make them think you're not going to run <laughs> off with their dog? <laughs> I like, tried to sell myself a little bit in the post. I was like, I, was, like, I used to work at a sled kennel. I, um, I've handled sled dogs before. Like I'm really good with my dog. I, I don't have that many references. And like other people who knew me commented on the post, like back me up a little bit. So this is just a really like a super kind family. And I don't know if this is, I don't think this is common, but they were up for the adventure and um, super thankful. And so the, I wasn't going to take a dog, but dogs are just, they're fun to have along. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're alone out in the winter, it's, I talked to Diggins all day long. You know, it's, mm-hmm. that was m- most of our day. It was just me talking at her, singing at her, whatever. Um, and we became very good best friends, you know, on that trip. So I don't, I don't think it's always necessarily right to bring a dog with, right? Because not all breeds are made for mm-hmm. long distance backpacking at all. So um, I'm against animal abuse and forcing your dog to hike a thousand miles with you sounds terrible if they're not that type of breed. But if you have a proper breed, I mean, man. Well, that's why you didn't even bring your own, right? Exactly. Right. So yeah, how did Diggins respond? Because uh, you mentioned when the weather was nice. It was in the single digits on the positive <laughs> direction. When it was not nice, it was less good than that. Um, I assume you're paying attention to whatever cues Diggins is giving you. Like, what what are you looking for to ensure that she's having a good time? Yeah, um, mostly a lot of pause, a lot of pause, pause. Like her feet. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wasn't given pause. Um, <laughs> her feet, um, just to make sure that those were okay. So we use um, something called Musher Secret, and you can use it um, in dry and warm climates. We love it. Um, it just helps their feet from cracking and kind of keeps the snowballs off their feet a little bit. Um, so I use that quite a bit. Uh, use balloon booties um, just to keep the snow off her feet mostly. Um, other than that, she did really well. She wore her coat only once, but I think she got too hot anyway. Her BTUs are crazy. Um, 
So I ended up cutting off two rectangles of my thermarest, my Z-Light, little uh, foam one, and having her sleep on that because she kept melting the snow so badly <laughs> underneath the tent that the tent would get wet and then the tent would freeze to the ground when she got up in the morning. Because she just she can just melt through layers of snow. Wow. It's crazy. That'd yeah. be in my sleeping bag so fast. Yeah. You get in, get in there. <laughs> well, the thing, the problem with having her in my sleeping bag um, was that she inherently sleeps in the snow, so she was actually wet most of the time. Ah. Um, and you don't you don't you just don't want to have moisture inside your right. sleeping bag. Yeah. So not only is she not cold overnight, but she's so hot that she's just melting the ground beneath her. <laughs> yes, and this is this is this is standard for a lot of sled dogs. So like if you go out on a sled, you know, trip or anything like that, which I'd highly recommend. The last time I was out in the morning while the dogs wake up, it's just like 15 black dots on the ground because they've just all melted the snow. It's crazy. <laughs> if, if, you know, if there's ground underneath them, it's not a lake or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So is Dickens actually pulling any of her gear or your gear? Look. No, I tried to have her pull the pulk the first week and she, every time I attach it to her, she's like, look at me. She'd be like, um, excuse me. This is not my purpose. For this yeah. She's like, do I look like a wheel dog? I'm not a wheel dog. Wheel dogs are the ones who are like at like the chonky boys at the back. Uh-huh. Like the ones who like are just like kind of the, the ones who are there for the muscle. Um, so no, she carried her own pack because I refused to carry any dog's food anymore. I did that on the, I also did that on my first backpacking trip with my dog. Never again. Dog food is so heavy. So heavy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I became a much happier person when I got a pack for Sierra and she could shoulder her little, and it's no issue for her. Like she's doing triple the distance. She's running up and back and down the trail the entire time. Actually to that point, Chance astutely pointed out that in all your photos, Diggins is on leash. Um, is that to not ruffle the feathers of the LNT crowd or is this like a worried about Huskies running off situation? Have you ever been around a Husky? we dog sat for a Husky once. So I don't think that qualifies me as a Husky as expert. We've both been on the verge of buying Huskies and then talked out of it. Him by others, me by him. Don't do it if you're not (laughs) up to that lifestyle. Did you ever let that Husky go off leash or outside of a leash, like a chain yard? No. I've heard they're escape artists. They are. How would you describe the mind of a Husky? They just, they don't, they don't even run away. They walk away <laughs> and they just keep walking and they'll walk. It's just in their nature. So it was really cool with her. Well, first of all, it was nice to have her tethered to me. Number two, she's not my dog. I was not, I could not, I was not about to call up Sherry and be like, just to let you know your dog somewhere in the wilderness of Wisconsin. I, I thought it'd be great to have walking. her <laughs> She's still walking somewhere. But it was really cool that one night our communication was so funny between herself and my, myself. She chewed through her lead. I had her tied to a tree and she chewed through that line. It was just P-cord, but she just sat there and looked at me. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what's, I'm like, why aren't you tied up to anything? Mm-hmm. And she just sat there. And so it was really cool. Towards the end of the trip, um, when we got into camp, I could just let her go off leash and she would stick around, mm. but I would never do that. It took like three weeks before that happened mm. because just walk away. Yeah. Do you think she stuck around because she had built like a trust with you or is it just maybe she could have done that from the get, but you didn't want to roll the dice since it's not your dog. No way, man. I think it was a trust thing. Uh-huh. I've seen her run around like their open yard at their kennel. I think she would have wandered off. Yeah, for sure. Now 
uh, you mentioned a few times that it's not your dog. So you had to return it. My heart is breaking thinking about like the bonding experience that you two had. How was it giving yeah. her back? There's a gnarly photo of me floating around on the internet of me just like ugly crying <laughs> so hard. Like I have a vein in my forehead right here and it was just bulging out. Just like I had snot everywhere. And I was like trying to like, I had rehearsed this whole thing I was going to say when I said goodbye to her. And I just was like, <laughs> I was just like so ugly crying at the end of it. I just like, I just, I do it, do it. and I was just like, fine, take her away. I was, I just collapsed on top of her. Cause I was, I was, I thought I was ready, but like she became my best friend, you know, like she's the only one that experienced that entire trip with me. They're yeah. like, there's no, there's no other being out there, you know, that, <laughs> knows what happened yeah it, does she live closest does she live close enough where you can like stay in touch and go hang out sometimes <laughs> maybe text her here and there take her, take her <laughs> little did, walks her handler is like super nice she'll send me photos of her she lives two and a half hours away but thankfully her family does come up to ely which is you can take the duluth route to get to ely um so I think in a couple weeks I'm going to ask to see if she can come out and play oh. <laughs> That'll be an exciting reunion. When seeing a dog after there's been like any time of separation, at, at least the dogs I've had, they go insane when there is a, yeah. the rekindling. Yes. Were there any, and I imagine there were, challenges associated with bringing a dog? Because I, so can you talk a little bit about how that interfaced with your time in town? Like, did you have to get hotel, motel rooms that were dog friendly or did you not do that while you were in town? Can you talk through that a little bit? We stayed in one hotel. The Ice Age Trail is funny, um, the way it's routed. Right? So there's um, Sturgeon Bay, Manitowoc, Madison, Milwaukee, St. Croix. So there's all these big towns, but a lot of those towns you don't really go through. Um, so there's, there's that. So there's not a lot of opportunity to kind of stay at a hotel. I guess you could hitch a ride into town. Um, yeah, in the winter with a dog during COVID, that sounds like you got <laughs> yeah. some factors working against you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there was one hotel. They were dog friendly, and that was super awesome. Um, she was really good, though. I didn't even – I could just tie her up to my backpack, and she would just sit there and wait for me to come outside of a store. Hmm. Um the only time I was ever worried was when I was in a Walmart. I was like, if somebody steals this dog – I don't know why Walmart <laughs> just gave the feeling that someone was going to steal her <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I was like, please do not get stolen. Um, <laughs> other than that, it wasn't bad. Um, I would eat all my meals outside with her. Even if there was indoor dining, I would just sit next to her and eat with her. <laughs> um, I felt it was, you know, important. I didn't want to be a dick and be like, ha ha sucker. <laughs> you can't come inside. <laughs> Town's just, my time. I, would she get, <laughs> would she get town food too? That girl loves french fries and chicken nuggies <laughs> like i have a picture of her with her head just straight up in a mcdonald's bag like just <laughs> up to the ears in a mcdonald's bag Aww. yes did you get to and hit up looked, any fish fries while you were out there one fish fry but somebody had brought it uh, i stayed at a house and they had picked it up uh -huh. for, for yeah i didn't get to drop into any fish fries unfortunately so the challenges the challenges were very minimal with that i don't i don't really remember any 
yeah. It's also Wisconsin. Wisconsin's like the wild, wild west, man. Almost anything goes yeah, in most of those sure. towns. So if you only stayed in a hotel once, you mentioned that you stayed at a house once as well. What was your lodging situation? Like how often did you get to sleep indoors and grab a shower and that sort of thing? I stayed inside quite a bit, actually, due to various circumstances. And it wasn't always due to the weather. Um, so kind of backtracking, I didn't, I didn't go into this trip without planning anything. I had an itinerary going into it. Um, the itinerary really went out the window. But on that itinerary, I did plan to stay at some of the campgrounds, which was really, it was dumb on my behalf. I should have known better um, because they were all closed. And so when I got into some of these towns, there either wasn't a viable spot for me to stay that I felt was su- like safe enough for me to be out of people's eyesight. So I would find somewhere to stay. Um, so three nights, three nights I knocked on doors. Several other nights I would text, I would like message people through social media. Um, and then some of the other nights I stayed inside, I had already pre- pre-planned it before I left. Got it. So you got friends all throughout Wisconsin? That doesn't suck. Well, now I, now I do. <laughs> I did. I didn't. But these these were all strangers. Interesting. To begin with. So yeah, it's like I would I would literally like salesmen knock on someone's door and ask to sleep in their yard. No shit. Did really? Yes. And that went over okay. Only once it didn't go over okay. How did that go? The guy called the cops. <laughs> and I'm, I was honestly, at a different I'm, guy's house. I'm surprised was, that only I was, happened once. I was at a once. different guy's house. Uh, just kind of just shooting the, I don't know if you can swear on this podcast. Oh, you, you can, can fucking yeah. swear all you <laughs> <laughs> I was like shooting the shit with this guy at his house and he wasn't certain that his wife would. Oh, I stayed in two hotels because this, this happened. Um, and I was chatting up with this guy and he got a knock on his door and it was the police. So the, I knocked on his neighbor's door about an hour before. And when the police came into this other guy's house he's like he's like have you he's like have you seen a lost hiker and i was like i think i'm the lost hiker you're looking for <laughs> <laughs> and he's like oh you know it's really cold outside and blah 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 blah. and uh it just ended up the guy's house that i was kind of chatting with he just brought me to a motel nearby damn that's but, uh, yeah it was, a, it was a weird conversation <laughs> wisconsin people are the friendliest so yeah walk us through what is it like you get to town imagine at the end of a day of hiking and how do you pick which door you're going to knock on? Like walk me through that. That's that takes, that takes massive balls. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. I actually said that to myself. As I was doing it. The first night I had to do it. I like had this plan. I was going through this ridiculously small town and I was like, there has to be, and there were no woods. It was all farm field. And that's where I really shot myself in the foot because I thought there would be at least a patch of woods I could dive into. And there weren't any. And I was like, I was like, dude, come on, like, you can do this, like, be a woman, like, come on, do this. <laughs> and I was like, all right, here's your plan. It's five o'clock. Somebody's coming home from work. You're going to catch them from when they're walking from their garage to into their house. You're going to wave them <laughs> down and then ask them so you don't have to knock on their door. And it's exactly what happened. His name was Barry. He's super awesome. He's very nice. His wife was very angry that he didn't tell me to sleep inside the house, but they're very kind people. <laughs> um, yeah. And that was that. Yeah. I feel like that's like how you plan getting a hitch back from like a grocery store to the trail. You're like standing outside, you've gotten rid of all the boxes and you're like, okay, first person to come out with a cart and make eye contact. I'm going to just casually be like, Oh, where's your car? 
<laughs> is that your move? Yeah. You wait for them to come out and you can see where they're walking towards. You're like, oh, are you going back to your car right now? Fancy that. Take so, me with you. How many times did you do the uh, the cold knocking, cold calling, I guess? Uh, three, three times. Three times. So Barry was Barry, two yeses and one no. So Barry was the first guy. John was the second guy. He's not from the States. He had a very thick accent from somewhere else. And he was so confused. He was like, <laughs> he's like, he's I was like, he's like, Hey, can I, he was so kind because, uh, I was like, can I sleep on in your yard? And he just opens his door to let me in. And I was like, I was like, oh, I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, I was like, can I just sleep in your yard? And he's like, what? <laughs> yeah, and then, and then that last time with the are they call. are they familiar with the Ice Age Trail? Like, is this like trail towns on no. bigger trails where they're like, oh yeah, no, these little towns have no idea that this trail goes through their backyard, mostly because that road it's a road walk. Because if I would have been just on the trail, I would have just slept on the trail. Mm. But these are all just road walks. And so you're just this weird person with a backpack and a dog walking down this county road and <laughs> knocking on doors, I guess. I don't know. So when these people are letting you or not letting you sleep in their yard, are they interacting with you at all? Like, is it literally you just get to the yard, pitch up your tent, and then you leave in the morning? Or do you do you interact with them? How does that work? No. Usually people who let me sleep in their yard, I just, I'm just there to sleep and then I leave. Got it. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, yeah. So at what point did you start to get fanfare? Because obviously by the end of this, everyone was picking up on the story. But I imagine when you started it, um, just based on your own attitude, it wasn't like a big deal. So like, at what point did you cross that threshold? Such a good question. <laughs> I, I left my house with like 200 followers on Instagram. I started my Instagram for this trip. Mm. Um, because I wanted to, like, it's a cool way to keep photos and it was be an easy way to communicate with the people that I knew. Um, and a lot of those people came from my other professional Instagram because they know, they just know me as a gardener. And the first week, so I did, I did social media dumps like on just Saturdays, just once a week. Other than that, I would, I would keep my phone pretty much just on airplane mode. Um, and after my first week, there's like a thousand people following this trip. Mm. And I was like, okay i'm like that's weird i don't know where you all came from <laughs> and then like the next week it was like two thousand people and then it just kind of incrementally got larger and larger so i, I some weird traction happened and I, i've been telling people like i'm just always so late like i'm not socially awkward but i'm always kind of late to like the social nuance party right of like this is happening and i'm like oh, it's not happening <laughs> like whatever and i'm like oh it's happening, you know? So I, I have no idea what happened. Yeah. Cause in my mind, right. I like, in my mind, this was just gonna be a passion trip. Like you hiked the Appalachian, like you hiked whatever. And you're like, I'm just going for a hike. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm just walking for a long distance in the middle of winter, which is like the Minnesota day, <laughs> you know? And it didn't seem abnormal to me, I guess. Do you have any dream gear sponsors? Just, just mentioning it on this podcast, we'll could probably. Oh get yeah, you. we like to manifest things. Yeah, we're gonna help you out here. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> any dreams, but I mean, any sponsor, I guess. Um, 
so the the sleeping bag I or use. You, was or you could give question. us a category if you'd like, and then we could uh, work keep it a little bit more broad. That way, you're not alienating. Oh, we were yourself. getting one. I think we were getting Western Mountaineering right there. Oh, well, I love. So I use this bag by Western Mountaineering, and it was fantastic. It's a Kodiak. They were not a sponsor, and I wish yeah. they would have been. I would, <laughs> I would test their bags if they were like, we want you to go to the Arctic and test out a sleeping bag i'd be like okay because that bag was fantastic <laughs> they make um, really good stuff yeah. so that's what we need oh, we, we need the listeners to dm mountain westerneering nope western mountaineering and just be like emily ford would test your bag so hard <laughs> right, right. <laughs> to have the flood She'll of them go the there out of your bags <laughs> you know what needs to be testing your bags right now <laughs> yeah guys you know like what to I do totally like, but any any like viable See, but like, I'm not so much of like a gear nerd where I'm like, oh, like only this company. Like, if your gear is solid and you stand by that, and like you're not a dick to the to the wilderness by your product, like those are the people I want to use. So like, I I didn't find Forty Below. Forty Below's been around for a while, but they make these really simple in camp booties, and they make these super rad koozies for your Nalgene's, and like they're such a simple company. Well, I don't know if they're simple, but their products are so simple and I fell in love with their gear right away. Mm. And like, those are the companies that like, I think are super rad. Those are the ones I want to, like, if I was going to become like that type of influencer, like those are the brands I want to back. It doesn't have to be like a big name, like Patagonia, although, hey, Patagonia, totally <laughs> uh, it can be any other brands too, you know? Yeah. So let's talk about your gear. I'm, I'm fascinated by this because this is so outside of my realm. Uh, let's go with the, the, your big three first, your tent sleeping bag. You mentioned the sleeping bag and your pack. Uh, Glenn Beulah. Glenn Beulah is the name of my backpack. <laughs> I named her, I named her that cause it sounds like a big girl name. Like she's like a big girl, you know, big farm girl. <laughs> she was gigantic. <laughs> uh, yeah. My backpack is by Granite Gear who actually did become a sponsor. Um, nice. they were the, they were the first sponsor that I had gotten, um, and I'm looking up this way because I'm looking at all my stuff is hanging in this room. <laughs> um, and it is the Nimbus Trace 70 plus 10. So it's a big, it's a very large pack. She's a big girl. Yeah. She's a big girl. Big farm girl. Uh, big farm girl. <laughs> and one of the cool things about Granite Care, A, they're so close to where I live. They're in Two Harbors. So they're just a spit up the trail here. And they will fit your pack to you. And they will they'll do everything in their power to make sure that your pack feels very comfortable to you. So I really appreciated that. Um, and I packed that to the gills. Yeah. Um, they, unfortunately they don't make the Nimbus trace anymore. Um, it was just, it wasn't affordable for folks. So they stopped making it. Um, sleeping bag was by Western mountaineering. It's the Kodiak. Uh, I believe it's rated for negative 30 degrees and it's mm-hmm. lovely. And one of the things I really liked about that sleeping bag because speaking of sleeping with dogs in your sleeping bags, I used to sleep with my dog in my sleeping bag, but I'm pretty broad-shouldered and I'm pretty broad-hipped. And this is a this is either unisex or a men's bag, and it had room in the knees. Like I could stuff all my clothes in the bottom of it to keep it to keep my clothes dry and warm and from freezing at nighttime, and to dry out my socks. And so I had a bunch of clothes in there with me, and there was still tons of room in there for like heat mm. to gather between my body. Um, and the outside air. So that was super awesome. So negative 30, uh, were you ever cold overnight in that thing? No, no and the, the coldest I probably slept was probably negative 25 Damn. in that bag. 
How much does a how much does a negative thirty degree bag weigh? And I know they do really good stuff, so this is probably like the lightest negative thirty degree bag that you're gonna get. I can't remember how heavy this this um I don't remember how heavy it is, but it's not. It's freaking light. Mm. It is and it packs down it packs down amazingly small. Like extremely small. I was my uh, my brain every time I packed it down every morning. I was like, "Damn, this thing is sick." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love that thing. I could spend probably the rest of my life sleeping in that thing. Um, and then the rest of my sleep system was by thermal rest. Um, so I had an inflatable uh, Neo Air, and then I had everybody's probably first camping pad, the Z Light, mm-hmm. the one that crinkles up that folds into like an accordion. John um, still uses that was it. super. Uh, I uh, love Zach taught me that I'm supposed to buy new ones every now and then. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Know. Mine's like, like this thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what mine was. And I like brought it here because we were looking at my gear or something. And he was like, how, how old is that? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I bought my partner one for the birthday or for Christmas. Well, I don't know, maybe last year. And I was like, this is so thick. I'm like, yeah. Why is mine so squished? <laughs> it's like double the size when you first buy it. Truly, but it still did a really good job of keeping the frost off of my, I, it was just a good, the R value was still there. Even if the R value was one, whatever, better than zero. My tent. Uh, yeah. So I borrowed the tent. I didn't have any more money left to buy gear and I hammock camp. So I didn't really have a tent to bring on this trip. Um, it's a 1989 Sierra designs CD clip flashlight. <laughs> She's an old girl. But old did farm a, girl. It was an, an old girl, <laughs> uh, but it did really well. The, the downside of that tent, though, is that there's no um, ventilation, mm. so the outside's not mesh at all. Um, it's all just the whatever fabric they make it out of. And so in the morning, we would wake up and it'd be snowing on us yeah. from the moisture of our breath. Yeah, and uh, that was tough. Yeah, those single wall tents when there's that much contrast and temperature the inside of the outside is yeah you're gonna get some moisture in there for sure but staying warm is really the thing that matters um i want to know what you wore while you were hiking because the lowest temperatures i saw in the at were in the single digits and i was mm-hmm. freezing in what i was wearing so the first thing i think when we talk about this is just my mind is just stuck on what were you wearing while you were walking Right. So we can start at the head. I had just like a merino wool hat. Let's just say on an average day. Well, I don't know. Do you want to hear about cold days or just average days? I guess. Let's run, <laughs> let's run the gamut. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> so like on an average day, I would wear just like um, a merino wool hat, very thin. Um, and then I was wearing two base layers um, towards the end of the trip. I don't think I that wasn't necessary for other days, but just how my clothes were stacked. And then I have like a, I have a, like a dry fit shirt that I got from like a tough mudder. Um, then I would wear like a raincoat or a wind coat on top of that. And that was pretty much it. Um, and then for my bottoms, I had two base layers and then, um, I had pants by, uh, Fjell Raven. I would just wear that. And then my boots were by bath and boots in the beginning. And then I wore right through the soles of those and then Solomon boots and I would wear, you know, a hiking sock, some Reno wool hiking sock. And then I wore, I had several pairs of hand hand wares. So I have some chunky mittens, some thin mittens, and then 
like dollar fifty cotton gloves just to keep the wind off. Mm. And then on a cold day on the top, I just I had like kind of a puffy coat I'd wear over all of that. Um, Down or synthetic? The, synthetic, because feathers and I, no, no, ma'am. Uh-huh. No, ma'am. I had I had a feathered coat for two months maybe and i had to bring it back it was it was by duluth trading and i just <laughs> i was like you guys you need to give me a different co-. i also i work for them and so i was like you need to send i need a new coat is it because of allergies because like What's i'm that? i'm well, i'm wondering why why the down oh, I just work. holes in them mm. oh okay because i i used to be allergic like really badly to goose down so that was what i was thinking was like it would give you hives or something nope i am just very aggressive on gear i am like if anybody wants to tough test the toughness of their gear like I'm the one to go to because I will just, I'm really good at poking holes and stuff. You can give the stamp um, Ford tough. Come on. It's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a she dad. She just exits the squad. <laughs> I, I'm a dad. I had no choice on that one. <laughs> um, but on, so on the bottoms, on top of my uh, normal pants, I, again, I ran out of money. So I bought these $12 military liners i don't know they were cheap and then over that i would put a wind pant to make like a faux uh snow pant on really cold days and i'd wear actually the wind pants quite often i got some nasty frostbite on the old butt after a while the butt's a hard the butt's a hard spot to keep warm and what i should have i should have figured out how to buy um puffy shorts that would have been that would have been clutch if i could have added any gear it would have been puffy shorts yeah interesting so do you have like weird numbness issues on your butt now or you've totally recovered from the frostbite it's very tender and i have some nasty scars Uh. i'm almost wondering like if numbness would be an advantage because i hate sitting on a bike seat but if i was totally numb down there no, it, my butt gets really cold too. It's not, it's not pleasant. No. That's like mm. the coldest uh-uh. part of my body and there's nothing you can do yeah. to warm it up. Interesting. Except for like put your yep. hands on it and kind of just like hope. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I will warm my butt yeah. with hope. <laughs> uh, okay. Interesting. Um, so you didn't, you did this entire trail without <laughs> snow pants. That's amazing to me. Well, when you, so, I mean, have you ever. Would snow pants be too do, hot? Yes, yeah. because the whole the whole key is layering. Right. So I never had the thickest. The thickest thing I had was my coat. Um, everything else were just like thin little layers that could trap heat in between them. I could take them on and take them off. And when you sweat, you want to be able to peel away different layers so you can have dry layers. Yeah. I mean, like you know? intuitively, obviously I know these things, but I've also never hiked in negative thirty degree temperatures. So like it's such a foreign thing for me that um, I'm. I'm learning all this from you right now. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, you know, when people think of Minnesota, they're like, oh, you must always be bundled. And it's just not true. Cause as soon as your body starts moving, it'll warm up. Mm-hmm. It, it, like just in like the, any other athletic situation. The thing is your hands are pretty, it's hard for your hands and your toes, but your core is, will be pretty warm. So you had no issue with frostbite on your fingers or toes? Well, I mean, they got a little frost nip. <laughs> because in the morning, because in the morning I would put on frozen boots pretty much. Yeah. Did you that, stop throughout the day to change your socks a, a number of times? How many socks did you bring? The mo- I had so many socks. <laughs> um, also, people kept giving me socks, so that's another reason too. 
but I would not change my sock during the day. You could not have paid me enough money to take off my boots during the daytime <laughs> and put them back on. But I did, um, at nighttime when I got into camp, I, I'm not actively working on TMing this, but I would love to. It's called the three sock system. Um, and coming into camp and putting on dry socks, right? So you have your hiking socks and the socks that you change into when you get into camp, but your feet are wet. So technically you're using that sock to dry off your foot, put your foot like in your in-camp booty. And then when you go to bed, take off those socks and put on your actual dry pair of socks to sleep in. And that will keep your feet way drier because by that time your feet are actually dry-ish. So you have a wet sock, a damp sock, and a dry sock. Yes. And never mix them up. (laughs) Don't ever mix them up. (laughs) Uh, Damn, that's fascinating. So... I'm just trying to think like what other dumb gear questions can I ask? Were your shoes water? Like, did you get waterproof shoes or like, were they Gore-Tex ones? How did you keep you from needing to change your socks throughout the day at all? Well, I'm curious as to why you feel like I would need to change my socks during the day. I picture with you post holing a bunch, snow getting in there and your feet being cold and wet and it just getting really, really cold on your toes. Right. Right. Yeah. Gators would probably help the whole situation of snow going in your boot. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) but I did have that situation. It's okay. I did have that situation, um, a couple times, but. So you didn't have uh, gators? I did have gators. Okay. Yeah. I was just sometimes lazy in the morning and put them on. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I did have that situation, but, uh, yeah, you couldn't have paid me enough money to take off my boot in that situation. And usually that's not, my toes wouldn't be cold at that time of day because my blood would be moving enough to get blood down there. It was just like putting on a frozen boot in the morning and they're frozen because I sweat mm-hmm. into my boot and that sweat just ultimately freezes and a little bit of snow that would end up in there. Um, and that shocked my system. And then for the next like two hours, just warming them up, you just have to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a misnomer about, um, we gotta, I gotta move with us for a little bit. Cause I gotta grab my charger, but there's a misnomer with, um, hand warmers and people think that hand warmers will work in any situation. And that's just not true. As soon as a hand warmer gets wet, it doesn't work anymore. That iron inside the hand warmer doesn't want to heat up anymore. Mm. Um, and you have to, it has to stay dry. So yeah, you're keeping those in Ziploc bags just to, keep them safe and dry uh in their packages they're totally fine oh right right. they work just fine right out of their package but um as soon as so like people a lot of people ask they're like why don't you just put hand warmers inside your because there's toe warmers that you can stick in your shoe Mm -hmm. but if your feet are wet that iron doesn't want to actually activate because they need air to work they don't need water to work Mm. also Hiking in snow for long periods of time is blinding. So are you hiking with sunglasses? Are you wearing goggles? What's the eyewear for that? Um, I had ski goggles a little bit on really sunny days. But I wear glasses in my normal life. Mm -hmm. So I did not wear sunglasses. I did not have prescription sunglasses or anything like that for that trip. So Are Are you using trekking poles? Absolutely. I loved, honestly, I used to give people so much shit for using trekking poles. I was like, oh, that's an old lady thing. <laughs> and then I started, I started finally using trekking poles as an adult. And I was like, these things are the shit. Like my, I can, I can cruise. I could probably, I could probably hike pretty consistently, like four miles an hour 
if I didn't have a ridiculously heavy pack on with trekking poles. I feel like that's a pretty common evolution. Like most people want to start off without trekking poles. I think they just think it, like you said, it it feels like an old lady move or like it just looks stupid or like, you know, they've done so much walking without it that they don't understand the practicality of it. And then, yeah, once you get used to it, you've got four appendages that are powering you up hills and just moving you along. It's, it is definitely like, it's hard to go back after using trekking poles. Although Trance is saying it's trekking pole. She's no trekking pole. Didn't you go without trekking poles on Catalina? They took them from me in the airport. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, the, the airport is anti Um Yeah, I mean, I've gone like days at a time without using them if it's more comfortable um, in the moment. But I feel like, because I used to feel the same way where it was like, I don't need these, but I was always doing day hikes. Like I was never doing anything where it was like piling pain on pain on pain. And I think when you do a long hike and you realize like, how much the pain starts to stack, that's where you really start to appreciate the trekking poles, whereas I might have laughed at them on day hikes mm-hmm. in the past. Mm-hmm. Taking a quick break to bring you a word from today's sponsor, Real Paper. Yes, we have a toilet paper sponsor. Life is starting to make sense. And we are super excited to shine a spotlight on Real as they offer an environmentally conscious alternative to traditional toilet paper. Real is entirely tree-free as it's made from 100% bamboo. The packaging uses zero plastic, even the packaging tape is made from paper. Let's talk about convenience, as Real is really that. You can get Real Paper delivered directly to your doorstep with subscription delivery options of every 12 weeks, 8 weeks, or if you're really attacking the ramen bombs, every 4 weeks. And nothing's more convenient than $0, which is how much shipping will cost you. And shopping at Real Paper helps to fund access to clean toilets for those in need. A portion of your purchase goes to Soil, a nonprofit R&D organization working in Haiti to improve their sanitation crisis. Here's where we save you some money. Head to realpaper.com, that's real, R-E-E-L, like a film reel, and use coupon code BACKPACKER at checkout to get 25% off your first order. Again, the code is BACKPACKER at realpaper.com for 25% off. Code BACKPACKER, site, realpaper.com, 25% off. This offer is only good for a limited time. And last but not least, today's show is brought to you by Hikerlink, a social media platform built specifically for hiker trash. Imagine this, you're on the trail, meet someone who goes by Oreo butt, wizard sneeze, panda paradise, or insert any other number of ridiculous trail names. You hike together for a couple of days, really hit it off, but for one reason or another, your paths fail to cross once again. Trying to connect with panda paradise at this point is a long shot at best. Enter Hikerlink. Think of Hikerlink like Facebook for backpackers, where your trail name is the ID that matters. On Hikerlink, you can feature the trails you've hiked, what years you've hiked them, connect with other hikers in your area, and or connect with hikers who will be hiking the same trail as you during the same year. Hikerlink is for hiker trash past, present, and future, and includes a bunch of cool features to showcase your trekking prowess and ambitions. You can create a free Hikerlink profile today by heading to hikerlink.co. Again, that's hikerlink.co, not .com, because .co is more ultralight. Back to the show. So kind of bringing it back to the fanfare of your hike, um, I feel like it's 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 worth mentioning here that you are a gay black hiker going through Wisconsin doing this thing. Um, 
but I've, I've read from some of your articles that you didn't want that to be a cornerstone of your hike. So we don't have to touch on it too much, but I'm just curious to know, um, obviously it's, it's gotta be important to inspire other people that, you know, aren't the ones that you envision out on the trail. So can you speak to that a little bit? For sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I just like had this belief that the outdoors is for everybody. And I think that kind of became something I coined on my trip a little bit, you know, like there's kind of no limit to who can be outside. And I, I think one thing that stops a lot of people from doing whatever things that they want to pursue is that they don't see people like them doing it, which is, which isn't the best excuse, but definitely valid in a lot of situations, you know, for sure. And so I'm hoping, you know, before I, and that was something that I kind of caught onto before I left. I was like, Hey, if anybody, if anybody in the world, you know, sees this, I hope that they understand that. Like, I firmly believe that anybody can hike and I hope they're kind of, I feel like that's, you know, a decent thing. But at the end of the day, it was a lot of, especially a lot of like flash media, you know, when I'd be on like news, more like newscasts or anything like that, when I had those interviews, it was always so funny, these like adjectives that would come before my name or like before, like through hiker. And I was mm-hmm. like, damn it. Like, I just want to be a through hiker. Like this is a, if this was a white dude, they would not be like white, blue eyed, straight, <laughs> cis male. Yeah. Through hikes, such and such trail in the winter. Like they would just be like, Oh, through hiking male, blah, blah, blah. Carl did so, it. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. And so it's like, I understand the importance of, you know, featuring that and talking about that because truly like that's so deep within my heart of like, I want everybody to feel comfortable in the outdoors. And I know that's not true for everybody, but also I was like, I'm like, I also am just like, I'm just a backpacker, like the both of you, mm-hmm. like there's nothing, there's nothing more special about me than you guys, except for that there's more people that look like you who do it. You know, that's probably, that's pretty much it. I'd say you're more special in your ability to withstand cold temperatures. (laughs) (laughs) So don't take that away from yourself. I can't do that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I'm curious, have you gotten messages from other hikers saying that your journey has inspired them or they have questions about the particulars of your journey or anything like that? Yeah. Lots of questions. Lots of questions from hikers, non-hikers, walkers, like lots of, in the beginning or like in, towards the middle, it was a lot of like parents, um, mm. like asking like how, you know, do they get their kid into something like this? And my response is my response to any parent out there is just like, look, I'm not a parent. So I'll preface that. Um, but like your kids just watch everything you do, right? Like if you're outside, they're going to be outside. If you're on your phone doing whatever, they're going to want to be on their future phone doing whatever. Like it's just, it's, it's systemic, right? It just goes, it just goes down, down, down through the lines mm, to lead by example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious now you just come off of this crazy feat. What hikes do you have now on your bucket list? Like, do you feel like you have the through hiking bug? I, I know this wasn't your first through hike. Um, but yeah, what else are you targeting? Are you looking to stay in the Midwest? Do you want to get out and do something in the east, AT, get out west. What are you thinking? Yeah, so I only have that little window, right? So I only have three months to really do anything substantial. I could maybe stretch it to four if my if I can cajole my boss into letting me have more time off. Um, I know I'm or- looking at the Oregon Desert Trail um, mm. to do that in the winter time. That's one I'd probably do a lot of research for because I've never, I've only spent a couple of days out in the desert. It was for a geology field trip down in Texas. So I don't have a lot of um, desert experience. 
So that's one I'd probably do a lot for. Have you been in touch with Renee Patrick at all? That name does not sound familiar. I believe, I forget, I think she's the executive director of that trail. I know she's like one of the one of the people that started it, um, but she's a former guest of the show. I'm happy to put you in touch cool. if, if you want to. Sure. I, I guarantee you there's not many people that know that trail better than she does. Yeah. Um, yeah, Oregon Desert Trail. That's another, you, you like challenging hikes. Well, here's the thing. I want to, I like hikes that nobody else are, is doing. Yeah. I don't want to see people. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, I don't always do them. Cause here's the thing. Like, I think one day I would love to, you know, be a triple crowner and like live in the glory of that. But like, honestly, I, so many people are on those trails, you know, yeah. like so many people. And like, I hope to like, I don't want, I, I'm just like not a party kid. I'm really pretty boring. Like even at home, like my partner, we go to bed like at, you know, nine, nine 30, we drink a little bit of tea before bed. Like we hunger down, get up at like six in the morning. Like I'm pretty basic when it comes to that. And like the party lifestyle that I've seen that can happen on like the ATPCT. I'm just like, I'm just not ready for that quite yet. I'm not ready to hike with that many people yet. And I know you can do it solo, but you're still going to meet a bunch of people or yeah. see people. Yeah. So like I'm, I'm more fighting for trails that like nobody does. So I can just kind of be alone sure. <laughs> on them. What was the longest amount of days you went on the Ice Age Trail without seeing another person? Or not long, not long, but, but, uh, I did not see any other hikers, zero hikers. Lots of people would come out to like find me mm. or like meet me. Do you not I, like struggle with just feeling like stir crazy and bored and just wanting someone else to talk to besides just being in your head? Cause I feel like that would drive me up an absolute wall. Right. Uh, well, I mean, I process a lot of stuff with Diggins, right? So, and I would probably do that even if, if she wasn't there, I'd probably talk to myself quite a bit. Um, and yeah, of course I got bored. I mean, we all get bored and it would just turn into like, I just mostly sang whatever song I could think of the lyrics to, you know, and just like past time, like with Diggins, especially, I would like try to over explain humanity to her while we were hiking (laughs) and like over explain like why humans act in the way that they do. Um, and like get really oddly philosophical with her sometimes. <laughs> so like you just figure out ways to pass the time. And I, it's, I think it's good. I think it's good for people to spend time alone with themselves because it, it's scary, right? Like what if you run out of things to think about, you know, like what if you don't have any service and you can't like distract your brain with like social media? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> it you is, know? it is strange. Like boredom, is almost a thing of the past if you let it be. And I just remember as a kid, like dealing with boredom all the time. And I feel like that's where a lot of creativity comes from is the space. It's just so easy to never have, I'm guilty of this myself, just to never have that space away from screens and input and stimulus. And yeah, I think something like what you did is uh, a a really precious opportunity to find that. Um, To that point, you actually, you have a quote, I think this was in, um, the backpacker article that uh, Patricia Cameron did, former guest. Uh, and the quote is, I like to tackle really hard topics that I've struggled with and go through the different parts of forgiz- forgiveness while I hike. So can you elaborate on what you mean here? And I, I think that a lot of people use hiking as like a means to process things. And I'm just curious, like how that interfaced with your journey. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, like with your question as well of like, what do you do when you're bored? Because your your brain will come up with a topic for you to ta- for you to tackle and you have to say yes 
to doing it, right? So there's, we all carry baggage, right? We all, we all have things that we need to massage out in our lives and, and work through past relationships or past dealings with ourselves or like past hurts or, you know, anything like that past struggles. And you can say no to processing that on the trail. You can distract yourself with other things, but I really love taking that time to like pick apart the situation that I was in and just like, where was I? What was I feeling? What was the other person feeling? Like, do I feel like I'm ready to like put in an ounce of forgiveness or like grace? Can I give my former self, my, my younger self grace for like how I acted or how I, whatever, like the other person, am I ready for that? And for me, I can think for hours and hours and like, I have to hike long distances to exhaust my thoughts. I'm just that type of person. And I, there were some topics that would come up in my mind. And I like, I just wasn't ready to tackle and they were just a little too, they're just a too raw for me to really dive into. Um, but there were other past things that I was finally ready to, that I had tried in other hikes to deal with, but I couldn't. Yeah. So, yeah, I think having that space is very therapeutic because when you're busy, it's just like you have to bury it because you can't deal with it while you're at work. Like you just, it, it doesn't do, it doesn't cooperate. Uh, so I think yeah. having the time and the space to like really process those things is very valuable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, actually, before we, before we wrap this up, I want to learn more about y- your life as the head gardener at the historic house in Duluth. Uh, (laughs) how did you get, how did you get into that? And if, if someone went to the historic house, like what are they going to see when they're there? Yeah, that I fell into that job just like I fell, I fall into a lot of things in my life. It was an opportunity and I applied for it and I interviewed for it and I got it. I was extremely underqualified for that job. Um, but I'm the head gardener. They're now much more qualified. Thank goodness. I've been there for four years. And um, yeah, I love it. So it's Glensheen, the Historic House Museum on Lake Superior. And it is a very old house built in 1908. So when you get there, you'll see the house and you'll see what I take care of, which are the gardens. There's a beautiful like formal flower garden. There's a vegetable garden. I grow fruit trees, grow lots of fruit. Um, you'll see my dog because he comes to work with me. He's very cute. <laughs> And that's that. Yeah, it's right on Lake Superior and it's super awesome. I love working right on the lake. She's kind of a bear, but mm. pretty cool too. So very cool. Well, thank you for walking us through your Ice Age Trail winter hike. That is bananas. Um before we wrap, is there I know you've got an Instagram account that's growing pretty rapidly. What can we plug for you here? How can we help you out? Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you want to follow along uh, for any other trips coming up, uh at Emily on Trails where you can find me. Um, for right now, you'll mostly see like a lot of pictures of my dog and like little trips that we do and goats, lots of goats in my life. I'm a goat apprentice. It's kind of a weird side. What's a goat apprentice? What's What's a goat apprentice? Right. So I apprentice (laughs) under a goat farmer. (laughs) Um, she does milking goats. Um, so I milk, I help her milk and I'm learning about kind of herding culture and how to become um, a good goat herder. And she has a couple sheep as well. I love yeah, I say it multiple times in my Instagram. I love goats. Do you think your dog knew that you were cheating on? <laughs> was your dog a boy or girl? He's a boy. He definitely knew because when I got back home, he was salty. He was so angry with me. You know, like how you see those. Um, there's all those clips of like men and women coming home from like the military, and their dogs are like 
so excited to see them. No, no, no. My partner let my dog go in the park and he can be off leash and he's totally fine. And he like bolted it straight towards me and like just took a hard left and ran away. Like didn't want to have anything to do with me. He was so salty with me. It took about, it took about a week before he was like happy that I was home. Yeah. That's funny. Um, I have one more question. Okay. We really like animal facts here, specifically Mm -hmm. mostly horses. We're big horse girls, but do you have any fun goat facts for us? Um, Weird things goats do that maybe people don't know about. (laughs) Weird goats do. What's so weird? (laughs) They're they're weird overall. Jeepers, Moses. When they're little, (laughs) there's... And I think a lot of people have probably seen this, but it's true and it happens in real life. When they're when they're kids, when they're little and they grow up big enough, they do just bounce around. They literally just hop like this. And what they'll do is they'll stand on top of the backs of the older goats and they'll just stand up there. And then they'll bounce off of that one and then they'll bounce to the next elder goat and they'll just bounce around like popcorn. And it's the strangest thing. I'd only seen it in videos and I thought it was like a type of goat. I'm pretty sure it's mostly all goats that bounce around like that when they're little. Huh. I like and, that. And the elders don't get pissed off. I just feel like even a baby goat with the hooves is like, that's going to not feel awesome. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, some of them are crankier than others. Yeah. Another thing that people don't know is that you just like horses, you need to clip the nails. You need to clip the hooves of oh. a goat as well. How yeah. often? Oh, it could probably be done. Um, Probably every other week if you really wanted to be on top of it. But that once often? a month is mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. If you really wanted to be up on t- if you wanted to like show it, but you can do it probably just once a month. I know people who only do it once a year. Is it like dogs where like if they walk on concrete a lot, they kind of file them down themselves, or is it just a task you gotta do? It's a task you gotta do. Yeah. Huh. Okay, you're stranded on an island and you can only bring goat's cheese or regular like cow's cheese. Goat. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh my, I think, I think I currently eat more goat cheese. I, I want to be out in the world. But I, I love goats so much. So the, the, my entire life, I've always wanted to drink milk straight from either a goat or a cow. And when I started uh, apprenticing underneath Jan, I was like, I know this is, this is my first day. I was like, I know this is weird. <laughs> but can I just squeeze the milk right into my mouth? And she was like, oh, yeah, for sure. And I was like, I'm so glad you think that's so normal. And it was the coolest experience of my life because it's warm. It's so warm coming out of their body. It's so um, weird that you're saying this is cool. You know what's crazy? It was, it was, it was like it was because it's warm. I'm like, Ugh. you never. I feel like you never hear anything about goat's milk, even though goat's cheese is very common. Why don't people drink goat's milk? Because so you have to after you get it out, you have to chill it. You have mm. to chill it. If you don't, it will taste very farmy, mm. and people don't like farmy flavors. Just like why people don't like venison usually, or if they don't like duck. Um, if they don't like wild turkey, people don't like the actual flavors of what animals are supposed to taste like. Right. Yeah. Um, Too gamey. Right. Yeah. And there's different, so different goats give off different milk. So where I, who I hang out with, she has these little goats. Well, you can't really see because you're seeing a screen. <laughs> They're like only a couple feet long, but their milk is like super creamy. You can make like mm. caramels out of them. You can make wow. like yogurt out of them. It's just delicious. Huh. 
This is going to flow into our triple crown so well. Definitely, definitely. definitely. Uh, Well, Emily, awesome. This was, I'm honestly super fascinated with your hike. I I think what you did was super badass, and I hope you appreciate how badass it was. Uh, I I assume by all the attention that you're getting because of it, you're, you're, probably realizing it somewhat but as someone that lived in wisconsin i know that that's batshit crazy and you you made it look or at least you're making it sound relatively easy so kudos to you thank you so much for your time uh everyone go follow emily on instagram and yeah thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it yeah (laughs) thank you so much cool cool thanks for the chat emily that was a ton of fun uh to the segment portion of today's show i have a feeling today's segments is going to be a little bit more on the rails relative to the previous show mm-hmm. any comments chance um we got, did not invite jabba to this one so it is automatically going to be more on the rails yeah things got weird like we chance and i both got home and just like i can't believe i said that i can't believe i said that did we? Am I? Should I be embarrassed to some of the things? I'm had? embarrassed, but I like, kind of already forgot all of it. I just get anxiety after every single podcast. I'm like, this is. We the last were one. talking about. I did admit to that weird, gooey stuff I was eating. Yeah, and you had to leave my trace. Line. Oh yeah, that was embarrassing too. <laughs> I, I to forgot like about that, that one. Sorry, that one was sorry. embarrassing. Just buried it. Hashtag. And we had the conversation about how many folds. Yeah. Things got weird. Okay, yeah. Things got weird. Things got really weird. I blocked that out really nicely. Thanks for bringing that back. uh, Apologies to Emily because we probably don't have any listeners after that one. (laughs) But uh, if you're still with us, thank you. Let's get to the Trek propaganda portion of today's show. I don't have any articles for you today because I do want to give a shout out. I think I've done this already, but the timing was skewed. So this is more of a reminder, but the Walking Distance podcast is out. This one is hosted and produced by Allison Young. It is beautifully done. Honestly, Allison served as a producer for American Public Radio for more than a decade, and we are teaming up to bring a brand new podcast. Uh, And this is for anyone who might appreciate more bite-sized podcasts. Some of ours can get on the meteor side. People that want a more polished product, this is going to sound like NPR quality. Allison is amazing. And those who might not necessarily be exclusively interested in through hiking, like especially the triple crown trail length trails. Uh, There's a lot more section hiking and beginner style content on this podcast. So um, if that sounds up your alley or if it doesn't, I strongly encourage you to check it out. I promise you it is awesome. Uh, By the time you hear this, the first three episodes will be out. Subjects covered in this first three episodes include how to get started into backpacking. If you're coming from a background of only hiking, how to think about your gear. This includes interviews with Adventure Allen, who runs a very popular UL website and the Trek's very own editor and lead writer, Kelly Floro, and an interview with two-time Pulse. Holzer, that's not how you say that, prize winner from the New York Times, Nicholas Kristoff, who, turns out, is an avid backpacker. So He shared my uh, PCT class video in 2017. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I like Damn. that guy. All right. Add that to his resume. Sharer of Tron's video. Yeah. I got a kick out of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I love this podcast. I think you guys will, too. So please, please, please go check it out. Okay. Let's do this. This is uh, Chance's Triple Crown proposal yeah. and i really like this one i think this one's good well i see it's written down as triple crown of firsts yeah just i gave one very brief with it you have to yeah, like, i accept i was thinking like triple crown of like weirdest first so that's why emily's interview was very fitting at the end because mm. i thought of this um obviously thinking about how strange the first person who drank cow's milk yeah had to have been but now talking to emily and how excited she was about the goat's milk yeah 
doesn't seem that far-fetched. So I want to go deeper into your first pick here, but um, I think we should give it like the full introduction. Just like put yourself in the shoes of the first time somebody did a thing yes. and how strange that thing must have been. Like things we take for granted now, like drinking milk, which is Chance's first draft pick. Like that, you don't even think twice about it. But at some point, somebody had to be the first person to pull on an udder underneath the cow and like white stuff came out. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to drink this shit. Or to see like the baby cows going at it and be like, move over, move over. (laughs) Chance is a dad too. Yay. (laughs) What? I mean, that's a dad joke. I accept. Uh, So that's your first pick. Mine is kind of in a similar vein here. Also has to do with eating. This one is mushrooms, specifically psilocybin, because they grow in cow shit. So somebody had to go over to a pile of shit, see mushrooms growing out of it, and be like, you know what? Sounds like a really cool idea to me is eating that thing that just grew out of that shit. Do you think they know it's cow shit? Because sometimes like when you're outside and you see it in like a field or something, it could just look like weird like mud. I've got to imagine. Like dried mud. That somebody who spends any amount of time around cow can uh, discern a cow pie. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I was trying to give the person some slack, but yeah, yeah it's totally weird. I also feel like mushrooms are a big roll of the dice in general because a lot of them kill people. And like, you just watch a mushroom kill enough people, you're like, nah, I'm good. I'll stick with the berry. I guess berries kill people too. Maybe they'll just eat meat. Yeah, it's a dangerous world eating foraged foods. Especially when you don't have like a grocery store telling you what to eat and what not to eat. Maybe that's why they went for the shrooms because they were probably like, it's in cow shit. This is safe. I know it's not going to kill me. What? I'm just going to have a wild ride for the next several hours. How would they know it's safe because it's in cow shit? Because then it's probably shroom shrooms and not like. But they don't know that. The first time they don't know that. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, the yeah, first that guy time was somebody really rolling the dice. There. Yeah, yeah, he saw a pile of shit, saw something growing out of it. He's like, "Yep, that's dinner." <laughs> Yum. Yeah, and then he got to meet aliens, presumably. Uh, Triple Crown. I get to. I get to go. It's a snake draft. I'm gonna go with this one's a little bit more contemporary. I'm guessing bungee jumping. Just oh yeah, to be the first person to jump off of a bridge. Just test that with like a rubber band attached to your back, being like, "Yeah, I think I'll live." Yeah, that's going to segue really well into my next one, mm. um, which is just like flying. Like, I, mm. Wright Brothers, what were you thinking? Like, hey, I'm just going to launch myself. It then goes for sta- space travel, too. Like, first astronaut. Like, you were going to launch yourself. You, you know what? I'm going to switch it. I'm switching it from flying <laughs> to the more extreme version of flying, which is space flying. Mm. And, like, the first astronaut to just be like, yeah. Shoot me up there and let's hope I get back. How did Apollo 1 go? I should know this. Uh, I know one of them went really bad. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, if you watched Apollo 13. Yeah, but aren't there multiple Apollo movies? You have to remember which one it is. Is there more than one Apollo movie? I know 11 was bad. Well, then there you go. There's more than one Apollo movie. I don't think just because it has a number. Oh, I thought you were talking about the movie 11 was bad. You're talking about Apollo 11, the space craft was bad yeah okay got yeah it. not got the, it, got not it, got the got movie it, i think there's only one apollo movie i thought there were several maybe there's like a documentary that i'm not i mean I'm, there's probably a documentary this is thrilling radio uh apollo did the apollo one crew die instantly is the first google question there's apollo 11 uh, came out in 2019 apollo 18 came out in 2011 oh the tom hanks movie is apollo 11 why did i think apollo 13 apollo 13 is 95 
Wait, there's multiple Apollo movies? Yeah, there's Apollo 13. There's Apollo 18. Unless that's a really poorly written three. And then there's Apollo 11. When did Apollo 11 come out? I've never heard of this. 2019, fairly recently. Oh. Yeah. I mean, does if a movie like sneaks into the bottom of Hulu, does that count? Does that really count? No, it's just I'm, I I forget which Apollo was which Apollo. Yeah. You know, I get my Apollos confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, any of the Apollo Eleven is the one that exploded, right? See, I uh, Apollo Apollo. Yeah, <laughs> tomato tomato. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. That's so space facts. Space Patrick facts. Trons. Wild. Um, okay, so yours is uh, the first person to do space travel. What's the what was your other one? You know, I had it in the car on the way here, and then I started thinking about the flying thing, and then I lost it just now, and I was thinking back to it. So let's go out of order for a second, okay. and you do your third one, and then I'll do my third one. You get to invent one while... No, I've just got to jog the memory. Um, let's see. Which one do I feel? Oh, I've got it. Okay. The first person to go to sleep. Mm, I would just imagine that's the first person. Right, but like the first time they were going to sleep and yeah. they were just like, what, am I going to wake up? No one's here to tell me Damn. if this is going to work or not. What was it like to be the first person? And how do you just have one, like at what point did we make the jump from apes? And are we talking what hominid precisely? And did all hominids sleep the same amount? We need I like, guess it is a slow transition, but yeah. at the same time, you know, one corn of popcorn pops first. It's true. <laughs> Although Adam and Eve is, I think, rooted deeply in science, and that's how it started, I'm pretty sure. That's true. Tricky. Well, didn't one of them come first, and then they took, like, the rib bone, and then they made the other gun? I think you're thinking of Marilyn Manson? No. This Different is story? biblical. Oh, okay. They took, one of, they took the rib bone out of one of them, and they made the other guy. I'm going to Google this now. Okay. I swear this happened. Yeah. Uh can tell you don't believe me. Religious facts, not Zach's strong suit. But okay, so I'm actually going to kind of a tangent on your first one. This ha hasn't happened yet, but similar is the first person to live on Mars. Oh, so this is like future. Yeah. Yeah, that person's going to be batshit insane. Think about like what's the worst part of Earth? Just the absolute place that you don't want to be. Let's just say the people. Lambeau Field. Uh, it can't be worse than Mars. No, the person going to Mars is saying the worst part about Earth is the people. This is someone that wants to be like but away from all this. You could easily get away from people on Earth. It wouldn't be that hard. Yeah, but like imagine just like like most of Canada is just trees. Just go up to Canada. You know, I've, like that's such a reasonable alternative instead of just so much better one way ticket to Mars. You, you know what Canada has that. Mars doesn't have oxygen. Like, the fuck? You want to live in a place that is just like a desolate desert space that doesn't have oxygen, no people. Like, what do you, what, what do you enjoy? What science. Are the, I guess that's it. These are people that really like science and, like, exploration. I guess it is a little bit of that pioneer Lewis and Clark spirit. Maybe, like, also, like, a little bit, like, wants their name to go down, you For know? Sure. Like, there's some ego. Take my life, just remember my name. But man, living on Mars just sounds like it sucks shit. So oh my god, yeah. Kudos to that person. Uh, what do you think his name is gonna be? Her name, even. What do you think their name's gonna be? I'm gonna go with something like 
androgynous. It could go either way. What's a good Kelly? I feel like Kelly could be. Okay. If it ends up being Kelly, I'll stop whatever I'm doing at that point in time and shotgun a beer. <laughs> <laughs> if they have Kelly anywhere in their name, it could be someone Kelly as the Will last somebody name. somebody be living on Mars during our lifetime? It gotta be. You think so? I just feel like, I mean, we just got internet in our houses, like just pre 2000. That was like 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. think about everything that's happened since then with the internet. I feel like the internet was like the end of all the cool innovation. Like, yeah, I mean. Yeah, but now I we're getting like super techie and like you need super techie to I mean, get. Elon Musk is dedicating a lot of his brain power to this problem. So it probably will happen. I just, I don't know. I'm skeptical. I think we've got during Elon's lifetime for it to happen. And then once he goes, people are going to be like a little like settled down. Like, ah, maybe we'll do, you do think that he'll tomorrow. Be, I don't think he'll be in the first trip. I think he's happy to let people guinea pig his stuff. Like oh, yeah. when Neuralink comes out, he's not going to be the first one to get the chip. Well, he's already an alien and is like infinitely brilliant. So he doesn't need it. But you probably already. What do you. What about this? What if he already has it? So that's he's the already first? got the, the Neuralink. Yeah. He's just like. And that's how he's doing all this stuff. Better. Would explain a lot of things. It would be it's either that or he's an alien. Like there's no other explanation. Maybe he's just like deciding to share it with us finally. Yeah. But like really, it's been his all along. I feel like we don't talk about Elon Musk enough on this. Oh, podcast. we should we should talk about him way more. Elon Musk segment. Uh, okay, and my last one. Oh, wait, I did two. Okay, I have yeah, you have a last one. I have on. Wait, did no, I? you have a last one. I did. I did. No, you did the Mars one. I did mushrooms, bungee jumping, and Mars. Mars. Yeah. Got it. Yep. You still have a third one. I mean, no, I said the first person to sleep. Right. I forgot. Okay. Um, Mars is kind of like a ripoff of my space one, but that's okay. <laughs> it's on my list. Okay. Can't, can't okay. deny the facts. Do you have any honorable mentions? Um, There's just like a lot of weird things. Like, oh, yeah. Most things are weird. It's like who got on the first boat and was like, I'm going to cross this ocean and like it might not work. Or like. The first people to have intercourse like you have to know to put my body in your body like that's just not like that's not put into the manual for how to be a person i mean people figure it out pretty easily but yeah but like every animal figures that out you don't need any certain level of like brain power to figure out sure but animals do some pretty incredible things like dogs eat the placenta do they yeah so does my friend miles yeah i'm shocked that you didn't but do you think you would next time no there's not Science. You who's so into all of the holistic. The problem is I want it to be at least rooted in a little bit of science and there's not any for that. Oh, Jenna should play a prank on you where she does like the Kardashians and just like tricks you into eating the placenta. That'd be a pretty cool joke. <laughs> yeah, it was on that eat, too. Eat my innards. It was like one of the only episodes of that show I watched. One of them like served the family dinner one night because they had been like giving her a bunch of shit for eating her placenta or something. Mm-hmm. And she had taken it and put it into the food. And then at the end she was like, how'd everyone like it? And they were like, great. And she was like, that was my, <laughs> you know. Yikes. I, don't... I feel like you'd go to jail for that. Yeah, I mean... Probably, but that's the only episode I remember, which I don't think is a negative. Uh, my other honorable mentions are CPR, watching someone choke and being like, I'm going to blow the problem out of you. Okay. They might have done some studies on that first, but yeah, okay. I think at some point somebody's just like, I'm going to breathe this one out of you. Hey, you, let me see your mouth. <laughs> yeah, but if you, even to do the studies, at some point you have to, there has to be one person that's blowing into a person for the first time. Yeah. Did it work? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't know that this has actually happened, but 
I know that this has happened is the first person that tried to befriend a Komodo dragon. Why do you know that that's happened? Just like, I feel like they kind of look like approachable animals, if I'm going to be totally honest about it. Have you seen the video of the one that went up to the person's porch door? No. The screen door? Uh-uh. It's like a video of them, like, pointing it out the window, and I'm like, oh, here we go, another mountain lion, and it's this Komodo dragon that just comes, like, wiggling up to the door, and just, it's huge. Yeah. No, I don't know, but something about it, it's just like a giant, friendly-looking lizard that's going to murder you pretty quickly. Where do you find the friendly-looking part? I don't know. I feel like it, if like a alligator had like a a chill cousin, that's a Komodo dragon. You'd call that friendly? <laughs> yeah. I mean, somebody's probably tried to befriend okay. an alligator. Like you go to Florida, you see that all the time. Eliza Thornberry tried to befriend a Komodo dragon in one episode of The Wild Thornberries, but that's the only case I know. Um, I know nothing. That person, yeah, about. no, you know what? I agree with you. That person is definitely nuts. Yeah. Um, whoever they might be. Past tense. We're nuts. We're nuts. Yeah. Not around. No, no longer with us. R.I.P. R.I.P. in peace. Okay. Let's go to, uh, this is now our second time, I think, doing this random backpacking advice of the day. Yes. <clears throat> you want to go first? Um, yes. So, uh, my random backpacking advice is to... Pack really good snacks for like at least like one really good snack a day. Like if you want to eat healthy and fuel your body and like do the right thing, that's fine. But I would say one snack a day, like just get whatever you want and just like cherish it because nothing's better than just like having a few more miles to go and knowing you have a little bag of M&Ms that you'll finally get to open that you couldn't open all day. And then just laying there in your tent, like warm and not moving and just like eating chocolate. Okay, let's pretend like you had to eat the elimination diet, like the most stripped down elimination diet possible on the trail, but you got one snack that deviated from that. What would you bring? Are we are we being like realistic? Yeah. Oh. Um, well, size-wise, it doesn't really make the most sense, but if it wasn't realistic, like sweet chili Doritos, mm. all of them. Yeah. No, I mean, I wasn't trying to constrain you. You could bring an infinite supply of whatever you want to bring. Sweet chili Doritos. Okay. Uh, mm. yeah, I've kind of, I used to be cosmic brownies. I've eaten too many of them. I think at this point, sour gummy worms are fantastic, but I don't think I'd go with them as the sole snack. Cause if you eat too many, you get a tummy ache. Um, sweet chili Doritos, they're just fantastic. They're crunchy. They have that like powdery texture to them. Um, they kind of are a little spicy, so they make you thirsty in theory, you hydrate more, um, so they're beneficial for hydration, and they're just like an all-around great chip. <laughs> this is going to parlay perfectly into <laughs> mine. Uh, by the way, my answer would be double stuffed Oreos. Those are so good, too. I've, I've eaten 800 of them in my life, and I like the first one as much as I like the 800th one. Like I haven't, yeah. I haven't fallen off even a little bit. You get a gallon-sized Ziploc bag, oh, yeah. and you just peel open the whole thing of them and shove them into the gallon size, and then it's just, like, good to go. I can go through the entire container in one day easily. Yeah. easily. Um, okay, so John's advice was to eat sweet chili Doritos because it makes you thirsty? No, it was to bring good snacks, regardless of how oh, yeah, right, healthy right, right, right. and— Sorry. I latched onto the wrong part. Um, cal- like, positive calorie— Driven. Yeah. I don't know what you have on a word. It's spring good snacks. That's actually, I think that's really good advice. Having something that you look forward to, because especially if you're new to backpacking, it 
can be kind of stressful and to have one thing to look forward to is to have a reward for yourself. I think that's a, that's something that is, and you're, you're burning so many calories that you can get away with it. Like you don't have to have the perfect diet. You can have some nasty shit in your bag and still make it. Uh, but my advice is, and this is not in any particular order. Like this is the second segment we've done. I hear it too. It's strange. This is the second segment we've done of this. So this isn't necessarily my second most important piece of advice, but it is advice. Bring electrolytes. You're going to sweat a shit ton when it's hot outside. When it's cold outside, you're not going to feel inspired to drink water, whether it's to replace electrolytes you've lost or just to make the liquid you're drinking more exciting. I've never once regretted carrying electrolytes and almost always do go through my full supply before even reaching the next town, which is my true test of whether I actually like something if I go through it before I get to town. Uh, I always have some extra pep in my step when I'm well hydrated and electrolytes help me get there for sure. Um, I'm trying to think honorable mention, just like any type of beverage mix, ideally Mio, I think you get the most bang for your buck out of because like, it's just that little, you know, little guy and you just squirt it a bunch of times and you get a lot of uses out of it as opposed to the packets where you get a lot of trash out of it. Um, those have caffeine in them and like the liquid like flavors. They do have an electrolyte only version. Like they, they have do. non-caffeinated versions. Oh, I want the caffeine. Yeah. But I mean to each and their own. Very concentrated caffeine. Like you can overdo it very quickly. Uh, yeah. Hiking with Jabba, like you can tell when he's meowed up because he just turns into a different person. Like yeah, you know it's how great. he is normally. Imagine him to the next level. Like that's a guy that loves monster energy drinks. I can't even be around him after he's had like one of those 16 ounce cans. It's, you think you're starting to hit a wall. You start chugging some of that stuff. You are up the hill before you know it. For sure. And, and that's the right time to do it is like the latter half of the day when you're about to hit a long climb and you're feeling like shit. Well, caffeine will change the experience. I disagree. I like it at the beginning of the day. It's just like mm. a nice cup of coffee in the morning. It just gets you moving and grooving. And yeah, I like the exercise to wake me up. And then I feel like I, regardless of when I do it, I'm going to have a crash after the caffeine exits my system. And I don't Fair. want, I don't want to like burn through that at the first part of the day. Like I always save it for, I want the crash to happen when I get to camp typically. <sighs> caffeine aside too, I also like it because a water starts to taste like just unappealing at a certain point where you're just like so bored of it. You don't want to drink it and it helps you stay hydrated when you do hit those um, walls. But also like depending on where you are, some water sources are gross. Yeah. And if I'm filtering water and it's still like a yellowish green in the bottle and I put some blue Mio in it, then it's blue Mio water. For sure. You know, it's not that green gross water I got out of that moss filled trough. Um, and that kind of just inside makes me feel a little bit better. Did you have any of those really tanniny water sources on the AT where like all the leaves are decomposing and it's like basically like drinking tea? No, the AT was nice because there were so many water sources that I would just skip anything I didn't like. Um, I'm thinking more of the desert where like there were there were times I wouldn't even get my own water. Like yeah. Courtney would get my water for me because I just could not look at it without gagging. Yeah. Um, Apparently the CDT is the worst. Lots of cow troughs. Yeah, thankfully I have no interest in throwing it out. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no. Keeping your water interesting to encourage you to stay very well hydrated is not something that you're going to regret. So regardless of what brand you go with, I highly encourage you to bring electrolytes, especially if you're going to sweat a lot. But like I said, if it's cold outside, I hate drinking water when it's cold outside. Just like it, it makes me colder from the inside out. But if it tastes better, I'm more <coughs> likely to keep up with it. So electrolytes. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. Speaking of new podcast projects, Chance, what do you got for us? Yes, so we have another fun teaser story from the Mile by Mile podcast. Um, again, that's a podcast that we're working on uh, that covers the in-depth history of long-distance trails, starting with the AT um, on much more of an insanely um, specific level uh, than anything I've found, at least, which is both good and incredibly overwhelming. Um but mostly good. So for this story, this one was brought to us by our researcher, Brant. He's on our history team. He's graduating Virginia Tech this spring with degrees in political science and philosophy. Um, He's been studying environmental politics, policy, and philosophy, and recently finished up working for a local museum in Blacksburg, Virginia that centered around Southwestern Virginia settler history. Um, He's going to be beginning his master's in urban urban, excuse me, planning in the fall and is through hiking the Colorado Trail this summer. So this one is the story of Mount Mitchell and Klingman's Dome. Um, for starters, I know you might have hiked the AT. Did you ever hear the story, a, a story of Mount Mitchell and Klingman's Dome? No. I, Mitchell was the original southern terminus, right? No, what that was, was Oglethorpe. O- Oglethorpe. Okay. Mount Mitchell is the highest peak east in, of the Rockies. Okay. That's I think North they said no east of the Mississippi. It's North Carolina. Okay. It's like, I think it's, it's not on trail and I, I think it's maybe closer to Western North Carolina, but it's, it's known because it's the highest peak definitely east of the Mississippi. And I think east of the Rockies, mm. but yeah, so there's a story between Mount Mitchell and Klingman's dome. Um, specifically the two people involved, Mitchell and Klingman, so Eliza Mitchell was a Yale-educated mathematician who a- arrived in Chapel Hill to teach math and philosophy at the University of North Carolina in 1818. He became heavily interested in the geology of the state, and after his work was appointed to head the, to the head of the North Carolina Geologic Survey. Um, so Mitchell wrote in his diary in 1828 that he believed one mountain in particular was the tallest in the area. Uh, So this mountain was known by the Cherokee as Atacula, meaning leaning wood. It was also called Black Dome by settlers uh, until Mitchell came along. And then at that point, locals began calling it Mount Mitchell. Um, In 1835 and 1838, Mitchell hiked to the summit again to remeasure his findings, showing that the peak was higher than even Mount Washington. Um, At the time, Grandfather Mountain was on record as the highest peak in the region at 5,946 feet. Mitchell returned to the mountain again in 1844 with better measuring instruments to confirm his calculations yet again. What did they use to measure that back then? Did they get into that? I have no idea. Like, the better measuring instruments, I'm like, cool, like a really, really long measuring tape. I have no idea (laughs) what they measured elevation in. Um, Good note for me to look up. But so he's done this a bunch of times now. He's gone to the top, measured it a bunch of times. In 1855, Thomas Klingman, a congressman and a former student of Mitchell's, started challenging him, saying that another summit was higher. This competing summit was originally called Kuahai, or the Mulberry Place, by the Cherokee. It was said to be the place where bears danced before their hibernation. And settlers called it Smoky Dome, but after the rivalry that began between Mitchell and Klingman, it became known as Klingman's Dome. And so in 1857 now, 
A frustrated, understandably so, 63-year-old Eliza Mitchell began yet another arduous ascent to remeasure his findings yet again. Um, This time it was during a thunderstorm, and unfortunately Mitchell never returned. His body was found in a pool at the base of Mitchell Falls, which is kind of an ironic name to give the waterfall, all things considered. Um, It turns out that Mitchell had fallen 40 feet from a cliff at the top of the falls, was knocked unconscious, and drowned. Um, However, he was later proven correct. At 6,684 feet, Mount Mitchell is the tallest summit in the east, 41 feet taller than Clingman's Dome, and 396 feet taller than Mount Washington. It was officially renamed in honor of Eliza Mitchell after the 1881-82 U.S. Geological Survey upheld his measurement, and he's actually buried in a tomb on the mountain. Um, When his body was discovered, the man leading the expedition muttered, here he is, poor old fellow. So you'd think that was like a story enough on its own, but a year later in 1858, Klingman led the party that measured Klingman's dome, so now he's measuring, and some had begun blaming him for the death of Mitchell. Mm, that, so, that like he pushed him off the cliff? Just the like, style or something? no, just like the, he wouldn't have gone up to remeasure again, especially in those conditions if there wasn't all this pressure. Uh. So like they used to be friends and they turned rivals um, while trying to discredit the integrity and legitimacy of each other. And the pressure that Klingman and the public put on Mitchell's claims ultimately led him to attempt a summit in conditions that should have honestly been avoided. Um, So then it gets even weirder. Klingman then starts to claim that he was, in fact, the first to to measure Mount Mitchell back in 1855, um, which resulted in many heatedly disagreeing and showing sympathy for the deceased Eliza Mitchell. And Klingman was in politics, and the argument that was playing out in the press surrounding Mitchell's death turned uglier when some of Klingman's political opponents began calling him a murderer. Um, So at that point, he drops the matter entirely of who was measuring the peak first uh, once his reputation became tarnished. He later became a Confederate general and senator from North Carolina. Today, Mitchell is, this is what Brant wrote, so I'm assuming he got these quotes from somewhere, but he, he said, today Mitchell is often remembered as a hero and martyr, while Klingman is a backbiting scoundrel. Um, backbiting scoundrel. <laughs> there's no way he thought Sweet of those words bird. on his own. <laughs> but because of Klingman's ties to the Confederacy, there have been calls to rename the summit. Um, however, I wanted to point out with what we've researched, like Mitchell was no better off. Um, the University of North Carolina website has a write-up on him that states, on the question of slavery, he supported the Southern point of view. After coming to Chapel Hill, he acquired slaves himself and in 1848 preached a sermon arguing that slavery was a system of property holding under God's law and as such was no worse than any other form of property ownership. Hmm. So neither of them were very good in that manner. Um, But yeah, that's the story of Klingman's Dome and Mount Mitchell and how they both got their names and how they are related with this pretty interesting rivalry that led to Mitchell dying on his mountain. This sounds like the subject of the next like Lin Manuel Miranda Broadway rap show. You're not familiar with Hamilton? Mm, yeah, seen? I know Hamilton. I know of Hamilton. You the seen, tickets are it, insanely expensive. Yeah, I think you can watch it, or at least you could at one point on Netflix. Oh, that's not the same. No, totally not the same. But like to your point, who can afford that, and like who is hip enough to actually like 
get it when they're announced. Uh, I will say I'm not, I hate Broadway. Like Broadway does not do it. I'm not the intended audience for that. Like it just, uh, I don't understand it. I don't understand singing what you're trying to say. Like, it's just a strange thing for me. I thought Hamilton was excellent. I thought it was very, I like I'd watch it again. See, I like Broadway and I like singing what you're trying to say, but I also like am not, this is going to sound weird after this past segment about me saying we're doing this super history thing, but I'm not like interested enough in like general history, which I assume this is what it is in like a singing way, right? Like yeah. it's about this Hamilton guy mm-hmm. in a singing way. That part loses me. The singing part I'm in for the, the whole, but he was like, he's such an interesting guy. You will, you will find it interesting. You should watch it. You will like it. I what promise. do they say? What do they have to sing about? Like, are they singing about like policies? Yeah, I mean, he was a founding father. Like he, he invent. He was the original Secretary of State. He had beef with Thomas Jefferson. He invented. But they're singing about that. Like I have beef they're, with you, Thomas Jefferson. They're rapping. They're rapping. Yeah, but like the cinematography and just the song structure. I, like I'm not the right person to be talking about this because this is Wait, so, so far out of my. This interest. isn't like like singing like belting out songs. No, this is rap. It's rap the entire time. The play on Broadway is yeah. rap. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How have I missed that? It's fucking amazing. It's incredible. I like I'm not That's breaking so news weird. for anybody. No, Everybody you, knows well, you are. You're breaking yeah, no, no, you one person. Apparently not. Chance from uh, Lakewood is getting a, a real lesson right now. But yeah. No, I Hamil- read up on something I can't afford. <laughs> Ham- you can afford Netflix and Hamilton is fucking good. It's really good. Weird. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, watch Hamilton. Strange tangent. I think is, yeah. there, is there a there might be an actor from Hamilton who's also in this movie. I, I might be fucking that up, but uh, I watched on the plane recently um, the newest Christopher Nolan movie. Why can't Tenet? Do you see Tenet? No, I heard it was very confusing. So confused. Like people said that about Inception, and I didn't. Th- Inception is a little bit like, all right, what layer dream are we in right now? But this is a whole other level. Like I need someone to give me like a play by play breakdown of what the fuck just happened because I don't get it. Yeah. Those both fall in the Hamilton box for me. Haven't watched either. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. But why I, yeah, I agree. Tenant segment. That was very much out of left field. Okay. <laughs> that was movies. Yep. Uh, mailbag. This one is from Erica Notini. The name is very, very familiar. I'm going to say there's a 99% chance that she was a blogger for us. Spitfire. I'm hearing that too. What are we like? Do you think know. that they all hear guys? If you end up hearing what we're hearing, it's very strange. We talk about Mars a little bit too much, and then all of a sudden we're channeling in a new galaxy. I think. Yeah. Uh, wait, I don't know if I was supposed to give away her name. Okay, she gave it to us at the end. We're good. Hello, BPR. I recently finished listening to the episode with Cindy Ross. I really enjoyed that one as mm-hmm. a guest and felt compelled to write to you about the very last part of her interview. She talks about her lifestyle and how she does it all debt free. First of all, I am so, so impressed by her. Raising kids, building her own log cabin, and hiking all the time sounds like the dream to me, minus the kids part. <laughs> can be a nightmare. The fact that she can do this, uh, she, she can do this all and also not be in debt is amazing. I've worked very hard to get to a place where I am debt-free and able to hike as much as I want. I'm in a position to pay off my student debt by the end of this year, eight years early. Congratulations. That's big. That's fucking awesome. I'm stoked about this, but my family does not share my enthusiasm. They believe that my money would be better spent buying a home since I currently live in the back of my Subaru. My father stated the other day that everyone is always in debt. It's just the way that it is. I've been left feeling lost and unsure of whether I'm doing the right thing. It wasn't until I listened to Cindy's interview that I realized I wasn't alone. I felt so validated by how Cindy lives and 
now that I know that it's positive, I'm distracted by the, whatever radio it's, station. It's, we're we've got up. a commercial in here. <laughs> and now that I know that it's possible, I feel free to move forward with my plans. Thanks for helping me feel a little less alienated. Happy trails, Erica Spitfire. And I knew it. Fuck yeah. Yeah, Spitfire sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, so few things in there that I think are worth touching on is if you don't mind living in the back of your Subaru and like you can get out of debt, 100% do that. I'd say the situation to maybe like just have a little bit of debt and then live a different way is if you hate that, like if you despise that lifestyle, like if you're just miserable every single day, then I don't know, like these are all personal preferences, but I generally agree with you, Spitfire. I think getting out of debt is a very liberating feeling and honestly just like a giant weight off your back yeah and i don't think there's like a right or wrong way to be doing things like being unsure of whether you're doing the right thing i think everyone's gonna do life a little bit differently um depending on what they think is important to them and i think just because you and your dad might not or your family whoever you said might not necessarily align with your preferences on this sort of thing doesn't mean that you're not doing it right um, I think if you align more with what Cindy's doing, then that's just like cool for you. You know, yeah. I, I wouldn't take what other people are saying about it um, too seriously as long as you're happy with what you're doing. And there's a there's a tendency in society to, and I think this plays really well into oftentimes the subject of the show through hiking and just like living for the now for not just postponing all of your happiness until retirement when you might be too old to actually enjoy it is like, you have to do you, you have to do your thing. And if a lot of people just buy houses to keep up with the Jones, they feel the societal pressure to do the thing that their friends and people their age are doing around them. And then ultimately they're in debt and they're miserable and they're stuck working a job. They don't like to pay for these things that they don't like. It's just a really uh, depressing, defeating cycle. This is coming from someone who owns a house. I do enjoy owning a house, but I don't think that it's for everyone, especially like if you're in the right age range and you want to go explore and have adventures and get tons of life experiences. Fuck yeah, go do that. That's the right way to do it. Okay. And my dad read. Uh, Five-star reviews. You want to take the first one? Yes. <clears throat> okay. So this one is from Kate Kloss. Always a fun listen. As I sit at my desk, tip-tapping on my keyboard at my 9 to 5, listening to you interview some kick-ass adventurer always makes the day go faster and hypes me up to get outside. Keep up the great content. Yippee. This one is from I was here 77767. Is that like a reference to airplanes? I feel like there's I see a 777 and a 767. That's, anyways. I don't know. The absolute best of podcast. <laughs> I love listening to this pod while 2020 through hiking the AT when being told not to in my ear. That's the uh, cry <laughs> laugh emoji after that. But in all seriousness, the show has inspired me over the years to run, to hike, and to keep enduring miles on on a long on long days. Fun. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for the reviews, guys. Uh, if you want to have your reviews right on the show, John, how would they go about doing that? Um, well, you would go to iTunes. Uh, I think that's where you do it. And you would put a review that is at or above five stars for it to be read on the show. And then you can write literally anything you want. Um, and we'll read it, which is pretty neat. Um, another thing that's pretty neat is that it helps us keep the lights on without you having to do a lot more than just type something on your phone that might not even be very nice. Um, Give us some of those five-star reviews. It helps us get our sponsors. That helps us 
um, put together and produce this show that helps give you content to listen to when you are at your desk or on the trailer doing anything else. Um, so if you do have a minute of time and you're thinking, hey, how can I procrastinate this really important thing that I'm supposed to be doing right now? Switch what you're doing and leave us a review. Yeah. Like right now, right now. Right now. Right, Just right pause. Now. Right now. Right now. Although we probably shamed enough people with our little giveaway scheme last week. Oh, yeah. If you didn't bite for the giveaway, but like you needed some, you know, further reasoning, um, this is your sign. You know, sometimes you don't need a giveaway. You just need to be told again. Yeah. Please go leave us a review. And to that point, just thank you to everyone for all of your support, whether you've emailed, reviewed, told a friend, commented on Instagram, whatever it might be. Uh, honestly, we we are perpetually blown away by your guys' support. And I know we've talked about it a lot, but we've made more of an effort to actually get these shows out more frequently. I think we've done every week for the last like four or five weeks, which is mm -hmm. our highest frequency since this podcast has started. So, um, yeah, your guys' support of us makes that possible. So thank you very much. Uh, and we'll, we'll continue to work our ass off to make this podcast happen as frequently as possible. Also, if you've got guests or subject suggestions that things you want covered on the show, as always email us podcast at the trek.co. We read them. We don't always respond. They come in pretty frequently and uh, I have to change diaper blowouts, but uh, we read them. Yeah, we do get some of our best guest recommendations from your emails. So if you know someone that maybe we might not know, um, even if we might know them, like email us and let us know because we really do listen to them when we do, you know, decide who to put on the show. And I think the guys that you, the guys, I say that in general, the people that you guys um, recommend for us to have on as guests end up being some of our better guests when we do get them from you guys. Yeah, I think we got like three Dan Durston recommendations in like a 10 day span. Yeah, and then that interview was awesome. Yeah, Dan's a, he's a really bright guy. Yeah. Thank you to our Chuck Norris Award winners on Patreon. That is Andrew, Austin McDaniel, <clears throat> Christopher Marshburn, Janelle L., Paul Packman Seeley, S11N, Sawyer Products, Brad and Blair from 13 Adventures, Cameron Brown, and Brent Stenberg. You can follow us on social at Backpacker Radio on Instagram, at Backpacker Pod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Backpacker Radio. You can follow Chance. You can find me on Instagram at Juliana underscore Chauncey, at YouTube on Ju at Juliana Chauncey. Oof. Said that too fast. And most importantly, you can get my book, Hiking From Home, a long distance guide for a long distance. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> a long distance hiking guide for family and friends on Amazon. Um, it's going to be an ebook sometime very soon. I'm just waiting for them to email me back saying it's done. Yeah. Uh, and last plug, plug of the day go listen to Walking Distance Podcast. It's really good. You're going to like it. I promise. Bye. Bye. I'm tired of people telling me what I can't do. They say I can't drink on a plane. They say I can't bang on a plane. I say I can't be a pilot. I can't be a doctor. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right in front of your face. I'm going to chug 15 beers right now. Too good.